We have a brief special word tonight about a very special man whose story you should know about, in part because his story will be told for generations to come. Robert Howard might have been the toughest American alive while he was among us. Bob was the only man ever to be nominated for the Medal of Honor three times for three separate acts of staggering heroism in combat. But you can only receive one Medal of Honor per lifetime, and so that's what he got in 1971 from President Nixon. That's not all he got, though. He received eight Purple Hearts, eight of them. There were civil silver stars, four bronze stars, two distinguished service crosses. It's believed Bob Howard was the most heavily decorated American veteran of the modern era, period. He was a proud product of Alabama, and he let you know it. He was a Green Beret, Special Forces. While technically he fought in the Vietnam War, he fought in Laos and Cambodia and all kinds of other places where we were once told U.S. forces weren't fighting at the time. In one 54-month period, he was wounded 14 times. He served five tours of duty in Vietnam, and in recent years he loved his trips to Iraq and Afghanistan to visit the men and women in uniform and in the fight there. Bob had two master's degrees, but for the most part he was a soldier with only one employer. When he retired from service back in 2006, as a full colonel, he'd been an employee of the U.S. government in all for 50 years. That old expression, they don't make them like him anymore, well they don't. Bob Howard died today, he was 70 years old. Cancer did what the enemy never could do, it got him and brought him down. He leaves behind three children, several grandchildren, a lot of us who were proud to be his friend. In addition, Bob Howard leaves behind a grateful nation. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. Co-hosting for this week's podcast is uh, British Army combat medic Chantal Taylor, and Chantal is also the author of a book called Battle Worn, uh, which she details some of her experiences in Afghanistan um, as a senior medic for an uh, infantry fighting company. Uh, it's a very good book. I highly recommend anyone listening to go check it out. Um, Chantal, where, where can I get that at? Um, to start with, it's not available in Barnes & Noble yet, um, but it is available on all sort of online portals, you know, um, iTunes, Amazon, and then be looking to go into Barnes and Noble stores, fingers crossed, um, early next year. Nice. Nice. So yeah, like I said, it was a really good book. Um, kind of detailing some of like the hairy missions and situations that you guys were in. Um, so yeah, so everyone go check that out. Um, we had a really interesting episode for you guys. I think this is the longest episode that, uh, we've done, I believe it's just a little over two hours. Um, so on was Tim from the Veterans Project, who was on last week's podcast, and uh, a guy by the name of Tyler Gray, who is a former U.S. Army Special Operations guy. And, um, you know, he, he was injured in combat and spent a number of years recovering uh, physically and, and trying to figure figure himself out and find himself again. And uh, we kind of touched on a wide range of topics um, so Chantel, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, what it is, some of the work that you do with, um, th this organization that you work with as a expeditionary medic? Um, yeah, of late I've been, uh, working with, a, an organization called, um, GBV Uncovered, which is gender-based violence. And it's, uh, 
it's something that's quite interesting because it's people don't know too much about it and a lot of our soft community they they work in these regions and they and they deal with um the aftermath of of genocide and that sort of stuff but it's very much under the radar so the stuff that we see about um guys like tyler um generally will be stuff in conflict regions that are known to us but obviously places like the democratic republic of the congo for instance you know all the while that all the wars go on that we're all involved in um the, the well-known places these places get forgotten so it's my sort of job within that to to provide care to or frontline care to to women that have been um the subject of you know g- gang rape and we and we all know i mean rape in our sort of culture is something that we see is is, is is a part of a crime but in in a war zone it can be to demoralize populations and it's actually used as a weapon very effectively so it's it's, it's you know it's quite a harrowing sort of task for me and something that even as a combat medic you know i'm i'm used to seeing the kind of rough side of life but um this this opens up a whole new sort of um world and it's it's pretty dark at times but having said that obviously when things um go right and you can the the whole point of gbv uncovered is to to sort of map places and and rather than trying to fix problems because that's very difficult to do is to try and prevent them so you know, we, we educate women on how to avoid places um, that have been mapped as as danger places, and then how to deal with situations afterwards. Because you know, it's quite an untidy, um, you know, dirty war. Whether you use HIV as a biological weapon and all that sort of stuff, it's crazy. It's like, I suppose, back in Mad Max kind of. You know, that's it's, if I could sort of describe it in any way, it would be that that way. Um, hopefully, we'll be listening to. Um, the doc that sort of invented all this stuff. He he came up with the idea and he's the, the founder of GBV Uncovered and I'm hoping to get him on the podcast and then he can, you know, further look into and give some details about how the soft community are doing so much more than what's perceived on the on the TV and stuff. I mean, that's enough, what they do, what's perceived that they do, but they do so much more than that. So it'll be quite interesting to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, it's kind of an avenue that I, I kind of wanted to talk about. And, you know, like we're basically talking about the war zones outside of Iraq, Afghanistan, um, because Africa really is a place that's been like decimated. And, um, and, and not all of Africa, but there are a lot of parts of Africa, like the Congo, like uh, Darfur, that have really been destroyed by civil war and really nasty things are going on in some of these places. And What's interesting is a lot of, and like you said, it kind of goes under the radar, but there are a lot of Western military veterans who go into these like war-torn regions and help with aid and things like that. So uh, it's interesting and something that I look forward to kind of bringing to the forefront for people who listen to the podcast to kind of get into and, and um, maybe, you know, raise awareness and, and talk to different people who are who do this type of work, you know? Yeah, sure. And and even I'm um, like furthermore to the the thing about Africa, the whole continent there is that everything that's going on in the Middle East or Asia or wherever we are, wherever we're operating, kind of has a is, is a, a direct result of Africa. And I often think, I mean, I'd, I'd served an operational tour in Sierra Leone during, um, if, strangely enough, when um, the Twin Towers were hit, I was in a little uh, a village, you know, a sort of jungle village. And we we listened to that on the BBC World Service. So these like parts of Africa, you've got the north parts of Africa that have a sort of little hotbeds for 
for cells for places where um, training camps, you know, it's kind of kind of quite well known in the in the veteran or the military community that these places are where a lot of people, especially terrorists and, and that sort of stuff, they go out to hide. You know, they, and if if we don't deal with things that are so close to us, and Africa's kind of like the forgotten place, but it's, I mean, Mogadishu, places that we've. Lib- um, Liberia, you know, these places are, are very unruly and they're almost like, um, they're very easy to forget about. And, I, and I, I don't say that lightly, but they are because we look at the the larger places like, you know, we're in Syria and all these sorts of things at the moment. But a lot of things that go on in the, um, in certain regions of Africa, actually, it all ties in and it's not a place to be ignored. You know, it's certainly not a place to be ignored. Right. All right, cool. So, with that being said, now we'll get into the conversation that I had with Chantel, uh, Tyler Gray, and Tim from the Veterans Project. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, for this episode, uh, we have on Tyler Gray, a former U.S. Army soldier. Uh, Tim from the Veterans Project is back on, and so is Chantel Taylor. How's it going, everybody? Hey, good to be here. Hi, John. <laughs> all right so we, we had some, we had some technical difficulties but i think we figured it out yes we're good to go all right so th- this will be the second episode that tim is um co-hosting and um you know we're, we're highlighting his veterans project uh tim can you describe the project briefly for the audience yeah, so uh, the project is a um, photographic essay, and it's really built on showing what each veteran's return is like to polite society, uh, showing what reintegration is like. And so I started the project during my master's as a cumulative essay to finish my master's degree and to really show civilians um, as well as veterans um, kind of the individual side of the story. Um, because I believe that's the most effective way to build a bridge is to, um, between the civilian and veteran populace, is to show these individual stories and to show that we are each um, important to the community. And we're not just one robotic mass that comes home and, you know, hides in our closets. Um, we are important as individuals. So I wanted to show what each veteran's experience is like. So I typically follow a veteran around uh, for the day or two days. Um, and Tyler was no different. Uh, he was gracious enough to let me follow him around uh, L.A. and kind of show what his life is like now that he's uh, living out in Hollywood land. And um, and uh, kind of get to show what uh, he his experiences are like now that he's uh, reintegrating. Um, you know, and, and so the, the project has become um, a collaborative effort uh, with these veterans where they invite me into their lives and... Um, I'll actually be out in California next week covering five or six um, veterans uh, for the project. So it's a huge honor um, that they let me in and show me their lives. And I was glad to uh, get to meet Tyler and kind of give his perspective. All right, cool. So, you know, I, I've been following Tim. I've been following you on Instagram for a while now, and I was always impressed by the um, your posts, your blog posts, you know, the, the f- photos that you take. I think it's all great work. Um Chantal, I don't think I've seen anything like that from anyone in the UK, right? No, and I was looking, um, like paying more attention to the actual, the singular sort of photos today. 
And um, it's just the way that um, you've captured these soldiers, you know, and they're all very different, but you seem to, the stuff that I read about the soldiers that you've then captured, you, you then look at the picture and it's all like, wow, that's really, the way you've done it is really, it's really powerful. And no, there, I've not seen uh, many in the UK. So it's a really, really positive way to try and, because as they say, a lot, a lot of people within the civilian sector could read and read about these soldiers, but everyone wants to look at a picture nowadays, don't they? And, you know, the way that you've done it, I think that you are bridging, you, you will bridge that gap. And the more that you do it, the more it gets out there. I think it's a, it's a great way to, to, to help people reintegrate into society. Thank you. And, and I'm so glad you're on the show, uh, Chantel, with us, because honestly, that was one of the things is, you know, I'm, I'm going out to LA and I've got a gentleman, uh, a Paul Gelder, that I'm trying to make a part of the uh, project. And he was the Australian Army. Um, he lost his oh, arm. Wow. He lost his arm, and I believe uh, a shark attack. And uh, he lost his leg. To, and I, I believe it was an IED that he lost his leg to. Um, was in Afghanistan. Um, so he, he's. Uh, I'm really trying to reach the international community as well because I don't yeah, want for to sure be a domestic thing i want this to be a thing where we reach across to our to our allies um who've served and show them and make them a part of the project because i have fans of the project that are in australia and england and and they're always like hey man when are you going to get one of our guys so yeah yeah, yeah definitely and, and that's the thing i think i think the same the same countries tend to go into these things together and and obviously they you know we work alongside and, and fight alongside each other on the battlefield so to do it coming home i think those sorts of relationships are extremely strong. And if that's reflected in those photos, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so Tyler, um, did you, you join the army post nine 11? Uh, no, I was, I was pre, uh, I joined during when it was born. So <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was nothing fun going on when I joined. <laughs> okay. And so, can you talk a little bit about what kind of motivated you and then kind of go through your career uh, in the Army? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, well, first of all, I wanted to say uh, this 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 right now has really explained a lot to me. I was trying to figure out why a guy was following me in L.A. <laughs> taking, um, <laughs> makes so much more sense now. I, I It's really helped out. Um, I was I was getting worried. Um no, so I joined. Uh, the reason I joined, quite frankly, um, the best way I say it is that I, I never had a choice. And you know, um, I mean, I have pictures. You know, looking at pictures of myself, literally as long back as I can remember, um, I have had. You know, I wanted to join the military. I mean, I have pictures of me. I, I was that kid at you know, an air show at five years old in full camouflage, like I like with, you know, face paint on, that was me. And, um, I was pretty much that way my entire life. I mean, all I wanted to do was play war. Um, so when I grew up, it was, uh, really no different. The stakes just got higher. Right. And, um, okay. So you joined in and you went straight into the 75th Ranger Regiment. So yeah, when I joined, um, I, I walked. I mean, I walked into the recruiter, and I literally said, "Actually, my recruiter said he's like, you're the easiest person I've ever signed up." I went in, and I'm like, "Literally, what's the hardest thing I can sign up for?" And um, now, now there's a, called the 18 X-ray program that didn't exist uh, 
before I think 2000, I want to say two or three, I can't remember, uh, or it might've been 2001, but that didn't exist. So uh, the, you know, Ranger contract did. And uh, I mean, as soon as they had one available, I signed up and um, you know, Ranger battalion uh, in the army. I mean, I, I, it was a great place to start. It was a great place to grow up. Uh, so, to, well, actually, figuratively and literally. Um, but I, I really look back, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to have, th- uh, yeah, about three, about three years in uh, before nine eleven. So, you know, I, I was going to get out. Actually, I was planning to get out in two. And I, I was done. I was just like, hey, there's nothing going on. It's I kind of felt and I think everyone at the time pre 9-11 felt like a um, especially at, at Ranger Battalion, we felt like a really awesome football team that never got to play a game. You know, yeah, that, like, that's that's interesting, actually, because I'd um, I joined the British military before um, before, too. And we were sort of operating in places like Kosovo. And Sierra Leone, which were which were really interesting, but obviously then when um, the twin towers happened, it got fucking like really interesting, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I remember, you know, I remember that day. I remember, you know, I mean, people were pulling guard duty on like the commissary, and there was a tank. Literally, they parked a tank at the gate on Fort Lewis. I, I remember. Yeah. Um, and then I went to the tanker. I'm like, do you guys have any rounds? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why are you here? <laughs> well, it's really freaking scary. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. But that um, was kind of the attitude, wasn't it, before 9-11, that people were kind of, I don't know, we were just, I think, maybe a little bit different to the way people are now, you know? I look at, you know, and I try and tell people this, that we're not in the military. Um, And and again, both military and civilian, the the entire world changed. Um, You know, it's not, it wasn't just the U.S. The entire world changed perspective wise. And, but specifically, you know, the pre 9-11 and post 9-11 military was just, I look back now and it was like two completely different things. And, um, you know, like you said, it was just, it was just, it was kind of like, and, and again, it's a somewhat cliched term, but it was like, you know, you look back and it's like, you know, e- even the most senior, you know, almost people in the military at that time were still kind of innocent kids compared to what they would be four years later. It's it's just kind of a interesting um, dynamic change. Yeah, I, I- also, like I felt like we were still training the way that we were training, still training for a war in Europe or, you know, another big war like that. So, you know, something that was old fashioned kind of fighting. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. So in the American military, you know, we fought. Um, I, I used to say that we're always fighting the last war. So for for us in Ranger Battalion, we were we were fighting Somalia. Yeah. Because uh, that was the last, you know, in 98, 99, whatever, um, you know, we were essentially, you know, we, we were essentially, that was the last uh, major, major conflict, or not major conflict, but the last major battle, I should say, was uh, Somalia in 90, October 93. So even in 97, 98, 99, 
2000, you know, we're fighting that war and then Afghanistan happens and it's, it's not even, you know, the, the next war is never going to be the last one. No. They're, they're always going to be different, you know, and Iraq couldn't have been more different from Afghanistan. So it's yeah. just, it's, it's never, you're never going to win. You're never going to win trying to anticipate and you're never going to win trying to fight the last war. You just have to um, train and make good people that make good decisions under stress and then they'll adapt to whatever the situation is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like um, a few episodes ago, a few episodes ago, I had a um, major Rusty Bradley on. He was a retired special forces major and we were talking about like... Um, like kind of like the entire strategy of you know kind of countering these small um terrorist groups that are operating globally and it you know part of it part of the discussion was like how come we haven't had kind of better success in um in defeating them but, but because part of the issue is like it's it's really an ideology thing right um and and how do you stomp that out and uh i think p- part of the issue was what we were discussing was some of the tasks that are really designed more for guys in the soft community were given to uh, the conventional infantry troops, and and they're they're really not trained for those type of missions. So it kind of uh, I don't want to say mess things up, but in in some places where certain things could have been avoided, uh, it wasn't. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I see his point. I. I I see what he's saying. Um, and again, everything, every perspective is based on our personal experience. Right. Um, my perspective is, is a little bit different. Um, and, and that is the, the problem in fighting terrorist slash terrorism, um, whatever you want to call it is yes, it is an ideology. Um, but, but the, the, what that ideology really is, you know, Terrorist terrorism is not a religious ideology. It's an ideology that says we don't care. We don't we don't play by any rules. We civilians, military, we don't we don't designate a difference and we don't care. We will kill our own people, you know, just to prove a point um, in their own minds. So what I'm saying is, is that the problem in fighting that is that how do you how do you defeat somebody that has no rules and no restrictions how do you defeat them with rules and restrictions and what we've continually done um and this goes back pretty much for the history of warfare is po- uh, politicians have always ham you know there's polit- there's politics there's politicians and then there's there's the military, there's warriors and warriors fight and win wars. Yet we are always held back in some way or another by politicians. And, and today is no different. Um, we could have stamped out ISIS years ago. We could have, we could have leveled. There's so many things that we could have done that we knew needed to be done and would have worked, but politically we weren't allowed to. And, Again, it's no different today. Right. And I, I know th- those are some issues that are faced in the UK as well, right, Santo? 
Yeah, um, well, I always used to say that, you know, as soon as rounds are fired on any sort of battlefield, you know, politics don't belong on the battlefield. You know, you have you have commanders in place that, that that they're there to make those decisions. And I think one thing that we've all done, especially at the sort of the smaller unit level, is the stuff that we didn't know before Iraq and Afghanistan, we, we had to learn, you know, and that's that's a case of, you know, tactics changed and Unfortunately, you know, during those those sorts of things, you, you you're going to lose people, and you know, people are going to get injured. But again, it would be we're all soldiers, you know. It would be naive to think that you could ever go to war, and that's not going to happen. But the, the the thing that we try and do is we try and look at what look at what we've learned, and then hopefully, you know, we're all going to try and move forward or or, or, or do something positive. You know, if, if anything has come out of these wars, look at the way uh, medicine is moving you know that those sorts of things we need to kind of take um you know move forward with it i think and not always look at the mistakes that are being made because they're going to be made again yeah it's it's kind of interesting um you know from from these mistakes like you said we we learn especially in the medical field right now it's it's kind of crazy, but war really kind of speeds up a lot of different things, um, whether it be technology or understanding of a certain type of subject. And in a way, it's unfortunate because at the same time, people are getting killed, people are getting injured, and um, you know, and and it just seems that's the way it is. And it's kind of odd, but in, in a way, it helps. Like the the medical field in back here in the states has really. Uh, things have really improved in terms of like bleeding control and and the knowledge that people are having, you know, down to a person versus uh, before the globe, the global war on terror. You know, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it at my level here in uh, San Antonio. You know, with Bamsi, uh, you know, being the premier, really burn unit for the entire world. Um, you know, they've they've uh, made so many advancements because of all the guys getting burned um, overseas. But, um, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it here with so many of the guys I've covered that are wounded. Um, sadly, you know, that trauma and and all that kind of, you know, it, it, it speeds up the need for better medicine. So, so we're not necessarily preparing for these things, maybe because of a mix of things, maybe because we don't know about the horrors of combat and we don't realize all the things that can happen, um, with all the new technologies, but also, you know, we're just not, prepared and so sadly kind of the, the uh negative things that happen in combat speed that up yeah and i suppose advances in weaponry and, and stuff like that you know you're never gonna and i noticed i think the russians were throwing around the old flamethrower and you're like wow it's, it's almost like we're going back in time <laughs> mm-hmm. they're gonna have like do you remember in the olden days and that you see them in, in films where they have um like balls of fire being thrown over walls to, and it's it's, it's like crazy. But that's how, that's possibly how ISIS and those sorts of other terror groups they fight like that, don't they? It's a crazy world. Yeah. Well, again, there's there's weapons that are super effective, but we have rules against using them. I mean, flamethrower is a perfect example. I mean, yeah, <laughs> flamethrower. <laughs> pretty well and uh, it's pretty awesome i mean we <laughs> actually requested them you know uh for the caves in afghanistan and they're like uh no that's against the geneva convention and we're like uh, <laughs> but they well, don't work really well in perfect. the caves yeah. well but see that's the thing is you, you look at an example and this is a perfect example of like it's like okay you guys got to clear these caves well okay um 
how did they clear caves back in the day? What worked? Oh, yeah, flamethrowers. That's, in fact, why they made flamethrowers. Hey, can we get some flamethrowers? You can't get flamethrowers. Those are against the rules of war. And then it's like, oh, oh, our bad. Okay, so what should we do? They're like, go in the caves. And it's like, well, but that's kind of, like, risky, right? (laughs) You know? That's just the thing. It's like there's these contradictions in war where – Oh no, you know, flamethrowers are inhumane, but it's totally humane for us. Everyone is bad in the cave, but we got to go make sure they're bad before we can shoot them. So now yeah. we in there and have five guys shot or dead or whatever, all because then, you know, all because of politics and rules. Yeah, because then the the guys in the cave are likely using the flamethrower against you running into the cave that's that's the sort of people that we fight against you know they and you, you made that point earlier they do they yeah. they have absolutely no rules and and i've you know I'm, I'm a combat medic so i've seen i've seen what they're capable of you know and and there's no um there's no there's no they don't answer to anyone but we do you know and it, i've seen it cripple units and you're just like you know it's just crazy but um i don't know i don't know how that that will possibly never change that's well, Mark. That's what I, I, I in Tyler. You're speaking on it from the grunt side, you know, and fighting at the level. But from the you know dumb grunt side that I was on, um, of just doing it at the main unit level, the things that I experienced and the things that I constantly saw with, uh, you know, with not being able to take the gloves off and crazy rules of engagement, especially when I was over in Iraq in '09. It was like, okay, the guy has to raise his weapon at you, fire ten. Yeah. And they got to be at your head, and then he introduce <laughs> himself, and then you're allowed to say, "Hey, we're going to shoot back at you." So, I mean, the the rules of engagement when I got over there were absolutely crazy. And so, well, to Tyler's point, it's like we go over there to do a job. We go over there to kill. We go over there to defend. And when you can't do it at a hundred percent, you know, of an effective um, and an effective measure, then you're in trouble. Hey, hey, Tim, here's, here's a good way to put it. And this is, this is something that I think is of of all of the last 15 years, in in my opinion, the biggest travesty of the entire time at war is that if the, and and I won't speak for the international community, but I can say from a personal experience, if the American public knew the amount of danger that we put, you know, soldiers, Marines, airmen, what have you in because of rules of engagement and because of politics and because, you know, this fear over, oh, my God, what if we kill the wrong person? Well, there's a word for it, and it's called it's fucking war, and it fucking happens. Like, it's it's a sad reality, but if people knew how much advantage we gave the enemy and how many of our people were lost because of it. Um, I think people would be shocked. And the, the, what's frustrating is, you know, people, you know, Oh, uh, you know, a bomb accidentally did this or did that. I mean, if people knew how much effort we put into protecting innocent lives at the cost of our own, um, it's really frustrating as a, as a ground combat troop. And again, I know Tim can attest to this, but it's, it's very frustrating to know how much we tried to, 
stop civilian casualties, yet the perception is, oh, yeah, the military on the ground, they don't care. Yeah, it's mm. it's interesting because uh, the, the level that the United States and, you know, the UK and all of our allies go to to prevent civilian casualties is really unprecedented because never in, in a time in history can you really look at a war and say, hey, you know, there was rules for this and rules for that. You know, like war ultimately is the the absolute breakdown of of um kind of rules and and human interaction you know it's like completely savage and if you look at any wars in history like and i, and I mean anywhere you know 1300s 1400s wherever uh there was no rules like when war was happening people fled because they knew if they get caught up bad shit is going to happen you know and and kind of to the point where you know you're talking about you know you're clearing a cave and you know you requested flamethrowers and they say oh that's inhumane but is is it any more inhumane than shooting somebody in the face? You know what I mean? What what? How do you judge that? Well, you know, do you know what's interesting? Do you know where these? Um, do you know where kind of this 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 like World War Two? I mean, uh, good and bad. I mean, you know, the UK was carpet bombed, and uh, I mean, again, Chantel knows yeah. this better than us, but. You know, and vice versa, when we bombed Germany, we carpet bombed their cities. There was no military targets. We bombed everything. That's war. And there were no civilian. The way you cleared a room back in World War II is they did a figure eight full magazine with a bar. And then they threw in two grenades before they went into any room. You know how many innocent lives were probably lost? A lot. But again, it was war. Where things changed, um, and a lot of people haven't really thought about this, but where things changed was Vietnam. Yeah. And people go, oh, well, Vietnam, but they don't really realize why. Again, same thing happened in Korea. Things changed in Vietnam because cameras were integrated yeah. with combat troops, and then that was broadcast in relative real time directly to homes. And then people can armchair a quarterback and go, oh, my God, that's horrible. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Unless you're there, your opinion is invalid. Yeah. But that's when it started changing. Vietnam is when the perception of, you know, you know, people freak out on the My Lai massacre. And again, I'm I wasn't there, and don't get me wrong, I don't necessarily think it's right, but I could say that, you know, I'm sure the people that were in that situation, if you if you it, it's very it's very easy to look outside of something and now it's a thousand times worse um with you know helmet cams and and all these different things where you know it's easy to armchair quarterback and the same thing is happening in the u.s with law enforcement right now is people are watching these these uh these uh, body cams and they're they're judging actions now don't get me wrong some are wrong but even if it's wrong it's still wrong of you to make such a uh you know, to make such a judgment of someone's actions that happen within a split second, even if they reacted wrongly, it's easy to say that they did that sitting from, you know, your living room couch watching it on TV. Right. It's another thing to be there. Yeah. And you you also have um, this sort of society as well, where if they don't see it, it doesn't sort of worry them. But, you know, when, when you put blokes into a situation 
where they have to get feral. And, you know, the, I've seen guys, that, they've come back from certain sort of ops and they're, they're not in good shape, you know, mentally. You can see they're kind of, you know, some guys do, they have to get down, you know, I don't know a better way to describe it other than get down and dirty and, and do things that people don't really want to know about. And oh. then, then yeah. they're judged for it, you know, and he's like, well, it's, you know, it's a, how do you, how do you sort of combat that? How do you then ex- expect these guys to come back and integrate normally into society if, if you kind of, and it happened, it was quite famously in, in Vietnam where guys were treated as if they were kind of lepers and it's the stuff that went on there that they had to face was, was shocking, you know, it's not easy. You, you know, Chantel, you, you bring up a great point, and that's so true. Um, and it's actually why I personally, I, I hate personally, I hate the term reintegration. Yeah. And, and the reason I don't like it is because, one, you're looking at a group of people. If you join the military at 18, I mean, let's be honest, when you're in school, you're not really in the real world. I mean, you know what I mean? That's, you're living with your parents. That's not the real world, all right? So if you join the military at 18 and, you know, you get in after four, ten, however many years, you're not really reintegrating. You're integrating because you've never been in the real civilian world. Right. And, yeah. and vice versa, it's like, okay, even, you know, even if you remove that, let's see, you joined the 22, I don't know, but – um, so you were in the quote unquote real world for four years and then whatever, you know, I describe combat, you know, it, when you go overseas and, and you're put in as, uh, you know, as you said so well, you know, the environment, it, it is, it's the 180 degree opposite of society. It's the opposite of rules. Just like when we say, oh, this is war. You mean basically the rules are off. Like that's what it means. Right. So, yeah. When you've seen that side of people, you are essentially seeing a side that normal society doesn't see. And you are essentially learning that, you know, a good analogy is you now come now after you see that you realize that the world is round where everyone else still thinks it's flat. Yeah, for sure. But the. The reality is no matter how much – and this this is where I go back to reintegration and what I've had to accept is that no matter how much you tell them – it's like I tell people. you know, Somebody will ask me something and I'll go, you know, here's the thing that you have to realize. And this is is like my big message when I talk to vet groups. I go, look, the public is never going to fully understand and that's okay. The, the problem is that we have this need, like, we feel like we need to make them on the same level as us of understanding. And the reality is that's impossible without going through the same experiences. So what, what really needs to happen is not an understanding, an exact understanding. There just has to be an acceptance. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's yeah, definitely. That's an interesting way to put it, and I, yeah. I actually haven't heard anyone uh, kind of come from that angle. Uh, I, I think it's interesting and a, something to think about. Um, so Chantel was a combat medic uh, during her time in the British Army, and uh, she had a few deployments, uh, and she had dealt with some pretty serious uh, wounds on the battlefield, treating guys and stuff like that. 
Tyler, on on one of your deployments, or, or perhaps it was your last deployment, you were injured pretty bad. Can we talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, absolutely. I have I have no problem. I mean, there's again for you know, it's for me. There was a lot of lessons that came from it, um, but you know, when I, when I got injured, um, so it, it's the way I explain it to people, it's, it's, it's always happening to someone else. Um, and you know, and then one day it, it happens to you. And, and when it happened to me, um, you know, I was inside a, uh, inside a house, it was nighttime and, you know, it was, it, I'm doing one thing and then the next thing I know, I'm, you know, an explosion happens and I was, like I said, it was nighttime. So I was wearing night vision goggles. Um, it, it blew my goggles. It actually blew the mount off my helmet. So, uh, the, the first thing I, I, I remember everything from the moment it happened till the moment I got, or the moment before it happened, I should say all the way through, uh, up until they put me into surgery. But, you know, the first thing that happened, it, blew off my night vision goggles which instantly i i couldn't see anything um and i lost um you know chantel no i lost eight inches of uh or more i think actually of my ulnar nerve and then our ulnar nerve and then it jacked up my radial nerve so it a lot of people i know this sounds strange but uh, when it as soon as it happened i had obviously extreme pain in my arm um and I also had a feeling that it wasn't there. Um, I know that sounds weird, but when when you your nerves also just kind of tell you, hey, my body parts are still there, you know, and <laughs> I suddenly <laughs> I suddenly didn't have that feeling. And I was like, OK, obviously, like my my right arm's gone, like it felt gone. And it sounds, again, stupid or or maybe just weird, but. I, it was, it, I couldn't see anything. And for whatever reason in my head, I pictured saving private Ryan and the dude looking for his arm. And that's what I did. I was on my knees and I felt around for my arm. And, and yeah, uh, you know, we've all, we've all seen that and every, everyone's seen that, that film. And uh, I've spoken to quite a lot of veterans from that time. And, and that happened, you know, those, those battlefields, it wasn't just for, you know, uh, to make, make a, a movie or a film that those yeah. those guys were actually around looking for their limbs it's not uncommon at all yeah and, I, and i'm sure i'm i absolutely have no doubt I, I know people that worked on that movie i have no doubt that that specific scene came from you know first-hand accounts that the people yeah. you know uh, uh d-day veterans they talked to but uh so anyways i i felt around for it and um i couldn't find it <laughs> and um <laughs> I and you know there was at the time a, a pretty massive um, you know fight going on around me that I was obviously my priority was to find my arm but I was also like yep um, maybe you know m maybe I'll I'll get out of this immediate uh, danger area so um, it's like I tell people they're like you actually look for your arm I look you would look for a shoe if it fell off. Like this is your arm. This is kind of kind of important. Um, so anyway, and even and, and at that time, Tyler, like you had all that all of that going around on, you know, all that stuff going on around you, 
and we all we all learn our, our sort of medical skills of you know, the, the initial bit is um, self aid and buddy aid and care under fire and all this stuff. Did obviously with the, how and how sort of um, important your tasks were. Did people were people just still obviously they had to carry on with the the mission at hand. How how was that? You know, because you were you the only one injured or were there other guys? You know, how did that work out? No, there was. I mean, there had already been three or four people shot um, outside the house. Then wow. we ran in, and then a guy got shot to the next uh, to the left of me, um, and then. When I got blown up, a guy to the right of me got blown up with me. Another guy kind of came in the room and then got blown out of it. Um, it's like so, chaos, isn't it? But then you somehow have to get around that. Someone. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, that's the nature of war. Yeah. You know, it's, it's chaos and it is what it is. And um, what happened, so after it happened, though, I, because I couldn't see anything and obviously, you know, I mean, the pain was pretty extreme. Um Plus, I took a pretty serious, um, like, from looking at my helmet later, I mean, I had some pretty serious head trauma that I took. Um, nothing uh, soft tissue, but, I mean, I basically got hit in the head with the baseball bat or hit in yeah. the helmet with the baseball bat. And, you know, wasn't exactly operating on all uh, six or eight cylinders, depending on how I want to uh, rate my speed. But, um, <laughs> um, but my point being, I mean, I, I couldn't see anything. You know, I, I could feel the, the, the shooting. I could feel the fight going on around me. Um, I know it is the most cliched thing in the world to say, so I, I hate to say it, but it, it is so true. It's like, again, you know, everything's in slow motion. Well, motherfucker, yeah, it was in slow motion. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, the cliches are true. Like, everything, I, it was like I was in this bubble that but was, that's why they are cliches because the people yeah, say them true. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was like time froze, you know. And um, no, but it, it was like I was in this bubble, kind of observing everything. It, I don't know. Yeah. It was just weird. It, it just I can't really explain it. And um, so I have to ask as well. Did you, did you have yeah. a moment in there? And I know this is, again. People that have never been in these sorts of situations would kind of think it's probably a bad question. But there's usually always a moment of humor too. You know, there's a there's oh. that kind of that that realization, and I've seen I've seen soldiers do it, and they kind of they make the most inappropriate kind of jokes or one-liners at the most inappropriate time. But maybe it's the most appropriate time. I don't know. Oh, but no, it's I that kind it. of. I, yeah, I'm. I mean, I am. I'm pretty well known for making inappropriate jokes. Um, <laughs> like the worse it gets, the more my jokes get inappropriate, and it's just. It's just my personal mechanism of dealing with stress, but yeah, it's a good, it's not a but, bad one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't really make any jokes because there was no one to make them to. Um, <laughs> but I did that later when I got outside. But um, I, I will say, I, I, I can't believe in hindsight because I know that I must have only been in the house before I walked. I mean, it. There's no way it was more than ten to fifteen seconds. There's just. Because I, I knew I needed to get out of there. So it couldn't have been ten more than 10 to 15 seconds. But looking back at what I remember in those 10 to 15 seconds, the amount of thoughts that I had in those 10 to 15 seconds, again, the cliche of, you know, I'm not saying, you know, my life flashed before my eyes, but. A lot what, did. Yeah. What's that? 
A lot, you mean like even if it's not yeah, just when, your life, a lot of thoughts, you're yeah, trying to process an awful lot of things. Exactly. I mean, the amount, like the processing speed of, of the amount of thoughts I had in 15, 10 to 15 seconds was astronomical. I mean, yeah, it would, it would be like you, you have a, a 10 second dream and it's like 10 years in your mind, you know, it's like yeah. the same kind of, um, you know, your perception of time is grossly distorted, distorted. But, um, you know, I remember thinking initially, I'm like, I got to find my arm. And then I remember thinking, okay, my arm's obviously gone. I can't find it. And then I was just like, you know, fuck it. And then I remember thinking, cause I knew I had an arterial bleed. Um, I don't know how I knew that, but, oh, actually shit. I do know. Sorry. Um, I knew because my arm wasn't there. So <laughs> in, in my head, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just, you know, your arm's gone. So you're, you're bleeding pretty bad. It's not like I, I just, I just kind of assume that based on how much pain there was. So, yeah. Um, and then I remember, I remember having all these thoughts like, Oh, you're, you're going to be that one arm dude. And then I thought about getting a cyber arm and maybe that would be cooler than my big arm. I remember having all those thoughts. And then I remember definitively going, you know what? Like, you need to get outside and like stop this bleeding or you're going to fucking die and not have any thoughts. And then again, I quoting my brain, I remember going, yeah, if you don't stop this bleeding, you're going to die. And that'd be pretty fucking stupid. Wouldn't it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and, and that's the thing. All, and like you say, all of these thoughts, like it sounds like a long time when we're talking or when you're talking about it, yeah. But that's just, it's like, that's, that's almost instantaneous. So yeah, someone no. that was, if, if you had someone, if there was a camera on you when all this was going yeah. on, people would say, well, you didn't have that much time to think, but your brain works so much faster. You know, you can, it's a straight as well, you know, we're, we're machines at the end of the day. And that's, um, yeah. Yeah, we're a decent, we're a decent piece of engineering, I think. Yeah, but I'd like to point out the fact that, you know, not every not everyone <laughs> thinks that when they lose their arm. Like that was my first thought when he said that when I was interviewing him. I just looked at him like twice and I was like, Wait, what'd you say? And he was like, What what what, what was what, what I, which part when you were talking about how you thought it was stupid that you might die that way, like oh, I think yeah. my reaction would have been more along the lines of, Please God, don't let me die now. Like you know, <laughs> Well, see, but that's that's the other interesting point. I'm I'm not a religious person whatsoever, so like, there's no, I, I don't even defer to that. Which which again is one of those things too. Like we're after this. Like people are like, did you find God? And I'm like, uh, no. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, know. I, I'm just you know that's. That's how, how I am. You know, I was like, either I'm going to stop the bleeding or I will die. Yeah. Again, you're just wired one way or the other. But so. Well, my point was really the, that part. It was just more of just like trying to appeal to something to like get me out of that situation. You know, like I'd be like looking for any possible, you know, like, man, how is the, how am I going to make it? You know, like. Like your your initial reaction obviously wasn't really um, panic, you know. It was more of a kind of a calm, cool, relaxed, you know. Oh, I, well, you know, get that. No, actually, actually, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. Um, I'm I'm really glad you said that because um, 
what you just said, and and this wasn't brought up in our interview, but I'm glad you said that because it reminded me of something now, which was, you know, I remember having the thought. So, okay, so let me back up. So I, I had all those thoughts and then I'm like, okay, I got to go stop the bleeding and I can't see anything. So I got to go. Um, and there was like a, a, a patio light or something on the back porch. So I walked out the back and now I was in the light. It's the first time I could see. And that was the first time I looked over at my arm expecting to see, you know, maybe the shoulder joint or something. I don't know. And my arm was broken in like, I don't know, six places. I don't even know how many places it, I, I couldn't, and it was hanging on by, I don't even know, to be honest, what it was hanging on. I don't even know how it was still there. But when I looked at it, I mean, I was like, okay, it's still there, um, but it's, but it's gone. Like I'm, I'm, they're cutting it off as soon as I get to the hospital. There, there was not a doubt in my mind. So I was like, and first of all, my first thought was, oh, you dumbass. Well, that's why you couldn't find it on the ground because it's still attached to you, uh, A. And then B, though, it was like, okay, it's still there. So, yay, I found it. But B, it's still going away later. But what you were saying, uh, Tim, is I then kind of went, that relaxedness, the reason I was so relaxed was because I was like, all right, I'm not dead. And losing my right arm, ah, you know, it's not the worst case scenario. I could have lost all four limbs. And that happens to people. Again, yeah. I don't think this is my reaction. <laughs> I'm glad no, you but, I'm like, but I remember thinking, I'm like, this isn't the worst case scenario, but it's pretty bad. Like, yeah. what else do I have to worry about? You know what right. I mean? Like, I just got my right arm blown off. Like, and there was almost this weird feeling of like, serenity that like the worst case had happened. And again, it's not the worst case. People have gone through much worse injuries. But for me, I remember like I would have never expected that, you know, you don't expect that shit to happen. But I remember going, yeah, losing my right arm. That's uh, I do a lot of things with that. Like <laughs> this is gonna suck, you know? And um <laughs> but then I was kind of like, you know, well, I mean, you know, it could be worse. I could be dead, you know, could have lost both arms, both legs. So there was like this calmness of something really bad has happened but it could have been a lot worse and i remember being very comfortable in that yeah it's funny you say that because a a very good friend of mine Stu, he 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 had a total of about 14 injuries you know he he was they didn't expect him to live and um the worst one being he'd lost um one leg and the other one was hanging off and he mm. said at every every stage of like his sort of kazivac and then um subsequent medivac he'd always he'd be like sort of miserable feeling sorry for himself and this is this is in the early parts and then he'd yeah. see someone else worse and think oh god it's okay i'm not that bad and he said he felt guilty for feeling like he was almost um cheering himself up with but this is again we were talking about this sort of um soldier slash warrior mentality of that normal people don't think like that but that's you know like you know we we'll maybe talk some more about it how where people that they don't you don't just make warriors you know they kind of that's their calling that's where they're going to end up you know they'll yeah. either be a, the warrior on the wrong side of the tracks which we can see often or the, yeah. the warrior potentially on what's perceived as the, the right side of the tracks 
Yeah. And it's it's interesting how, how they kind of manage it. It's, it's not a case of just going along this sort of miserable train. It's like, oh, God, I'm not that bad because, look, so-and-so lost two legs. And I, I know that that sounds awful, but how else can you kind of I process think it's, it on uh, your way through, you know? I think it's more clear-cut nowadays almost, too, is because you can see a very um, – you can you can see that you know that warrior mentality because it's so very different from uh, what we see in um, a lot of our society. So you know, whereas back in the days of like Tyler was talking about with the Spartans and the and the and the Greeks and and all those that mighty warrior type of uh, generation where you were almost celebritized as a warrior, you know, and your your whole culture got behind you. You were the you were yeah. almost the deity of your culture. So constantly being lifted up by your people. I mean, that has a psychological effect, you know, of going out on the battlefield and knowing people are behind you and knowing confidently that, you know, no matter what, you'll be revered, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, so now it's almost, I feel like it'd be easier to see, you know, the, the warrior class that's meant, you know, to be, you know, almost like born that way, I guess, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting um, that you bring up that uh, specifically, um, th- there's a quote, uh, I don't know if anyone here has read the, the gates of fire. Yeah. Great book. So there's a quote that kind of, um, it was required reading where I was at. Yeah. It's, it's honestly one, one of the, the, the best books I've ever read. And, um, I, I would like to see that. I mean, I like 300, but gates of fire, if that was like a, a, uh, turned into like a game of thrones. Holy shit. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause it was re- really an awesome book. Um, uh, I'm trying to find this quote. It kind of sums up what Tim just said, like on the spot. Uh, hold on, let me see. Are we going to go radio silent while you're finding that, John? Uh, no, <laughs> we can find shit to bullshit about. <laughs> <laughs> right, and yeah. So we were actually. I'm going to. I'm going to take you back. So yeah. back to your injury, and then obviously you're going to. Well, not obviously, but you would have had a TBI of some description. And I, I'm going to touch on. And I know you don't like the phrase PTSD, so. I'm going to let you talk about that and, you know, why, what you think, you know, goes on. That, that basically we, people do suffer with traumatic brain injury through, through concussion and those types of things. Um, but when we're sort of labelling PTSD onto people, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I completely forgot what you're talking about. It was a bit where- like when... Um, no, I'm kidding. That's the TBI. Oh, yeah. No, um, <laughs> you got us. Got us. That's a little TBI joke. Zing. Did you get? Did you get? Did you get the quote, John? <laughs> Hold no. on, I'm looking. Did you get it? I, I feel like I'm like 15 seconds away from getting it. Yeah, I must right. feel like you should have that quote prepared. Yeah. Uh, you got it. Like tattooed on the inside of your bicep. Or... Yeah, that's probably where it is. He's just—it's upside down, so you can't read it. Yeah, find a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, man. So, yeah. right, go ahead, right, go ahead. So, yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, the, the TBI stuff, um, <laughs> I know TBI jokes are not PC, but um, I don't really think this audience probably is. So. Well, no, we've, prob- we've probably all got them, so we can talk about them, and you can yeah. mock them. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, you know, the problem, what I've come to learn about TBI and PTSD um, is that at the end of the day, no one has any idea what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, well, no, 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 they don't. They, they really don't know what they're talking about. And 
they are just like scientists don't even fully understand the brain in general. Like they know like 0.01% of it. So if scientists don't even yet understand the brain now, people are like, well, you know, TBI and PTSD. It's like, you don't even know, you don't even know how the car, you don't even know like anything about the car. And now you're trying to diagnose, uh, diagnose a problem because it doesn't start or be, you see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, dude, how could you even have a context for what you're talking about? So, um, everything that I say about TBI or PTSD isn't, it, it's it's based um, – I've learned that the clinical – so the problem I, I say with PTSD is that PTSD has absolutely nothing to do with um, combat. Zero. It, it really has – and we speak of it right now. It's, it's a big um, – you know, you hear about PTSD constantly, but – what I mean by it has zero to do with combat is PTSD in the DSM has – you could have PTSD from being yelled as a child. You could have PTSD from uh, being a, a victim of a, a, an assault. You could have, be, have PTSD from getting into a car accident. Yeah, All for sure. Are legitimate – you could have PTSD from – you know, you had a hard landing in an aircraft and now every time you get on a plane – it scares the shit out of you. That's PTSD. Yeah. But that is a very, very, very broad term that we're applying to a very, very specific set of circumstances and set of individuals. Yeah. And that is where I have a problem using the term PTSD specifically to describe um, combat veterans. Yeah, so it's like they're using a, the broad brush, and and even then you can take that further in the the types of things that. Um, and I'm not just talking about the type of combat people have seen. It's the 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 speed of the operations and the kind of intensity, and you know, you, there's so there's so many different sort of variables that you. And you're right, you can't really you can't just paint it all the same. So yet there there, and I hate that what we're doing is we're kind of feeding all this stuff with medication, as oh. opposed to actually. You know, I just I don't know. I'm, I I don't know what the way I don't know what the the answer is, but there's a, there is an answer, and it's not medication. You know, um, unless it's a specific need for medication, i.e., pain relief. You know, proper meds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I I think I, I think there is a specific answer, and the problem is the specific answer isn't specific. And what I mean by that is the Let's look at the cause, like the causes of issues. So you have two people that see or do experience whatever the exact same thing. Let's say they both see their same buddy die. Yeah. We've all seen it where two people go through the exact same thing and then what they take away from it is night and day different. It completely traumatizes one and the other person's just like, whatever, man. Everyone's seen that. So, do, well, does well if PTSD is PTSD, then it's caused by traumatic stress. So both of them have it because they saw the same traumatic stress. It, it just doesn't work that way. It's it's just like everything is 
not just one or two factors, but a combination of thousands, if not millions. So yeah, we try and, and, and label everything and we want them to fit in specific categories and we, and we want it to be very easy, but nothing is easy. Nothing is simple. Everything is complex and it's infinitely more complex when we're talking about the human brain and the reactions uh, to the human brain within different circumstances. It's to, to just label it four yeah. letters and three letters is not only bad, it's insane. Yeah. Well, you've, you're having what? Oh, you got TBI and PTSD. It's like, um, no, fuck you. How about you actually do some fucking work and figure out, like, figure out your yeah. science first before you tell me what I have. Like, figure out your entire brain science and actually understand what you're talking about before you start to put designations on people that have gone through experiences that you don't really understand. Yeah. And I liked, we spoke about it off, um, off sort of mic, but I liked what you, your thoughts on, uh, the fact, and this is so true that, that warriors and, and people that go into to war, uh, that, that fight wars don't tend to live long. And, well, it, and that's a really interesting thought to me. And it's not, it's not a thought I had, but it's very interesting. Well, it's, so I'll, I'll uh, go back over. Yeah. The theory is I'm, I'm really big. And, and actually let me, let me back up and say, and explain where this came, came from, which I didn't do earlier to give context. Um, and, and you talked actually too, I'll, I'll, I'll dovetail it with, you said, I don't know what the solution is. Um, and I said that the solution, the problem is, is everyone wants a solution. Uh, the reality is the solution is different for every single person because yeah. the problem is different for every single person. Um, and the, so this is a broad solution in theory, but it's a, not a broad solution in application. And what that is, is what I see the solution is, is that every person has to take some level of responsibility for their self, their own wherever they're at mentally, they have to take responsibility for it and seek their own path because no one else can completely do it for them. The problem right now is we've got a system. The military makes you dependent. Yeah. And then when you have, they go, you have PTSD and or TBI and you go, okay, awesome. Uh, what does that mean? And then they go, well, it means this it's, it's a broad label, and then the solutions are broad because the labeling is broad. The reality is everyone's different, everyone's issues are different, and how to fix them are different based on every unique individual. So my point being is where I learned this from was from trying to fix my own self. Now, I'll, I'll call it like it is. I'm crazy as fuck. Like I am straight up crazy. I always have been. Um, I always will be. And I'm very shockingly comfortable with that. But I learned, you know, crazy good within its bounds. And once I start to get outside those bounds, I got to go, okay, by crazy is getting even too much for me. So what I'm saying is I had to look at myself and go, okay. What uh, a great example I use uh, or a, a great phrase 
is when you're going, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? This is not me. All those little, I call them buzz phrases. Those are buzz phrases that you are mentally out of sync with your normal self. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, completely. So then you go, okay, um, all right, I'm obviously, something's obviously off, and now I have to figure out what it is. Because again, no one, no one cares about you more than you. And no one knows you better than you, and therefore no one can help diagnose you better than you. So what that led to for me was after I, I got injured, after I got out of the military, I mean, I, I had some serious issues. And I figured out by saying things like, what the hell's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? It's not normal. I went, okay, since this isn't normal, there is a problem. There is a cause of the problem, and I can't figure out what the solution is until I figure out what the cause is. So I scientifically, in my mind, realized that there was a cause and an effect, and then I started to do research on all these different things, every aspect. Where I'm going with this, one of them was evolutionary psychology. Evolutionary psychology is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable and where I came to with that was evolutionary psychology for those that don't know is, is kind of based. If, if I said it summed up in two sentences, it essentially explains all of our current actions and behavior. It explains it based on what we were designed for 10,000 years ago when we were living in hunter gatherer uh, tribes for lack of a better term. So it basically, that's how it explains our actions now is because it's basically saying we're built for this environment, but now we're in a, we haven't evolved to our current environment. Am I still making sense? Yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, so um, <laughs> the whole point though is I, one of the things that I took away from that is I looked at, you know, I mean, hell, look at war in the civil war, let alone a thousand years ago, let alone three, five, ten warriors died they did not live to see the end they, they didn't have post-war because they either died on the field of combat or even if they got a, a you know a mere flesh wound quote-unquote um i could have done a better british accent monty python <laughs> on that one but um <laughs> even if they even if they had a mere flesh wound they died of infection so yeah for sure Warriors did not live to see the end of war. And I believe a big problem, um, and again, I'm not going to say it's PTSD, but I think a big problem is we are just not designed the warrior gene, the warrior, you know, by birth, that kind of type of person is not designed to live in regular society post-war. We're just not built for it. We never were, and we were never meant to. Um, did I lose you guys? Yeah, no, I'm back. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, no, and, and, and what you're saying there as well, it's almost like, and you're, uh, I believe that too, but I think if you're, we obviously still have to find a way, 
of coming back. You know, and I do believe that if that those sorts of warriors, they, they find their own path and whether that's something f- through creativity, it's never going to be, you're never going to be that, you know, sort of bounding around, but you can, you can sort of have a, a good life, you know, cause it, it, no. it is, it's about adapting, isn't it? No. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that, it, it, I guess what I was saying was that was kind of the problem. Yeah. Um, and, and I had, and it, may, to, it makes sense too. It makes sense. Doesn't it? It, well, it, I had to realize that to understand why I felt how I felt. Now, again, I'm not just going to call it quits and go, oh, man, we weren't supposed to be alive. Okay, well, well that explains everything. <laughs> Later, dude. Right? Um, but it was a necessary thing for me to learn because then I went, okay, that's part of I wasn't yeah. supposed to be. It's 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 Lieutenant Dan syndrome. I should have died on the battlefield, Gump. You should have left me here, right? Like, I mean, how many people don't at some point post-military? I mean, if I ask somebody, I'm like, dude, do you ever wish you died in battle? If some when somebody asks me that, I'm like, oh fuck, only every day. And yeah, because like, there's there's a certain honor, isn't? It? I mean, I know. It's it's easy to say when you haven't died, but obviously I always think if you if you die in combat, that those stones, those stones that we see in our in our graves all over the world, you know, they're, they're still here and they're still tended, and the, there is a certain honour in dying in combat. I don't, you know, and that's that's gone through the ages as well, hasn't it? I also it, think that. Part of it, you know, and, and I could be completely wrong. I mean, Tyler knows more about the warrior culture than, than I do. But I think that, um, you know, Tim Kennedy said something to me during our interview that was kind of pointed. And it, it was like, I'm not meant to live in today's society. And I think, and what he meant by that was the political correctness and coming back to that. And, and in past, you know, in past societies, like I said before, they lifted their warriors up. They understand war was a part of life, and so you were deified. So if you did come back, you were lifted up by society. Even if they didn't understand you, um, they still they 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 respected you what up. you did. Yeah, right. Yeah, they respect. Well, yeah, but 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 there's a big difference. Um, and first of all, I agree with Tim wholeheartedly. Tim. Tim should have the battle axe in his hand and should be a Viking. Um, that's, that was his true following, and he was he was born in the wrong time. Um, but you know, um, he really needs. I think he needs to grow his hair out because again, he just needs to accept that Vikingness. But um, no, I think that if you really so take what you just said, but but I'm going to add a layer to it, and that layer is. Um, Back then, uh, yeah, well, let's use um, let's let's use med- med- medieval times or hell Romans doesn't matter. When warriors went out and fought, they went outside of the city and fought battles outside of the city. Yeah. And it was like we're going to fight here, so you don't take the city. So the people in the city is like said, yeah, they're going and fighting outside the gates. To literally directly protect the enemy from invading the city and basically, you know, turning us all into, uh, you know, kneading us into bread. You know, I mean, they did some ruthless stuff back then. But, you know, 
it was very easy for society to see what the warriors did. There was a direct correlation between direct protection and the ne- the need and necessity of war. Or, yeah, or for sure. War, but but protection. They saw the role. They saw an immediate. It's like, hey, if that soldier doesn't go out and stand, or if that soldier doesn't go on the wall with a bow, then it's me doing it. Right. Yeah. Right. And and you know what's kind of interesting about that is. Now with the difference that of our society and kind of the advancements in technology and things like that, now you guys are going, you know, to the other side of the earth, right, and fighting. And now you have people back home who are against soldiers. You know what I mean? And that's like an interesting difference. No, it's completely different. And, you know, to quote quote Nicholson from... um a few good men, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it's an amazing speech if you watch it over again. Um, yeah, it's an amazing speech. But again, the irony of that movie is that Hollywood, he's the bad guy. But he's 100% right, you know, in, in what he's saying. And that's the irony of that movie is like, he's the bad guy and people are like, yeah, screw him, go to jail. And it's like, you, you know, okay, yeah, Santiago is dead, but you know, again, kid was probably a piece of shit. Let's be honest. You know? <laughs> um, he's truly, he's truly like a lot of Marines I know. I mean, and I, I'm not passing on Marines. He shit. truly like, is like, a lot like Marines I know. <laughs> I mean, dude, I would have ordered the code red straight up. <laughs> um, no, but the the other part that's interesting too is that you know, in a in addition to the at that time they could directly see what the soldier did in addition i know there's probably marines and sailors right now going soldier why does he keep using soldier because they were all soldiers back then yeah. buddy leave it alone <laughs> okay let it go let it go <laughs> the biggest <laughs> right marines are jumping around It'll the room okay. right now for a, for a laptop <laughs> I know. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Um, no, but so in addition, a lot of people don't don't really think about it. But um, and if you could visually see me um, back, the way I explain it, back then, if you draw two lines starting in the left corner, back then there wasn't too much of a difference between life, regular society, and war. Yeah. Your kids died of dysentery, like yeah. your buddy got syphilis, gave it to all, everyone died, you starved, the winters were harsh, you lost yeah. three-fourths yeah. of the kids you had. Life fucking sucked. Like, right? And this, yeah. this is up until pretty damn recently. A hundred years ago, life for most people was hard as hell. So back when life was that hard, people were that hard. And war, although getting your arms hacked off with a sword, was worse than dying of dysentery. At the same time, life and war were a similar level of hard. Now, war has basically continued at the same level of hard or the the same level of suck, but the gap between war and society now is massive. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That yeah. massive gap is is 
and again, I hate the term, but like that's PTSD. Yeah. It's because you understand that gap and you only know that gap until you've been through both. Right. And, you know, it's what's kind of interesting also about what you just said is so, you know, there's a huge difference in everyday life and then how it was, you know, up to 100 years ago. But if you look at a country like Afghanistan, they kind of still live like that, you know, which is kind of like an interesting contrast. Like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you've been there, Tyler. I know Chantel's been there. And if you ever read anything about it, a lot of people would say things like it's like stepping back, you know, a thousand years into the past. And no, so they, I. They yeah, pushed but, themselves back into that dark age. You know, they they had some light for quite a while, and then Taliban kind of took that away, and those warring factions, you know, yeah. took that away for a month because it was actually, you know, I think in the '60s and '70s, if you look at pictures, I mean, it was actually a pretty yeah. incredible place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a holiday well, destination, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, to, I, I I don't think I'll ever have an opportunity to use this term again, so I, I'm I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, and we'll never be able to use it again. But to be fair to the Taliban, no, when I was in Afghanistan in 02, um, we went to parts of Afghanistan where they said, like, hey, there has never been a white person here, ever. Yeah. <laughs> At least in, you know, however many, like, yeah. they've never seen a white person. So, my point that I'm making, uh, I know I'm joking about being fair to the Taliban, but there were parts of Afghanistan, even during the 60s. I mean, we've all been there. Or I think we've all been there, but there are parts so remote. I mean, the terrain is so difficult. There are parts that, you know, are have just been isolated for probably thousands of years. Yeah. And so, you know, going back to your point, like, you know, and, and they've lived, you know, there's villages that I remember going to that it, it was like biblical times. It, I mean, yeah. I, I, not that I was alive during biblical times, but, but it's how you would imagine it, isn't it? It's how you, yeah, even I, when I, you see it and it's crazy. It's, and I was like, this is unbelievable. It was like a, um, it, it was like a uh, nativity scene, just completely different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so so actually, I, I found that quote that I was. Oh wow, to. John, you did. You know what I mean? <laughs> it took what? Yeah, <laughs> what was it? It's all got to be relative now. You're gonna have to throw yeah. throw us back to where we were. It's about war, it was about the warrior culture. Yeah, yes. and 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 kind of Tim was saying, um, you know, w w part of what in back in those days made it easier for the guys who knew they were gonna die was that kind of the people supported them no matter what and. So Tyler, quickly, the 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 name of the city where they lived at, how do you pronounce that? Is that Lake Demon? Um, I I I have, I could make up something, but I have no idea. <laughs> okay, all right, so whatever. <laughs> um, all right, so here's a quote: Never forget, Alejandros, that this flesh, this body, does not belong to us. Thank God it doesn't. If I thought this stuff was mine, I could not advance a pace into the face of the enemy. But it's not ours, my friend. It belongs to the gods. And to the children, our fathers and mothers, and those of Lake Damon, a hundred, a thousand years yet unborn. It belongs to the city which gives us all we have and demands no less. So kind of like what Tyler, um, Tim was saying was basically like, you know, because they knew that people supported them, they, 
you know, in a way it was like there was no fear or, you know, they, they didn't have an issue with doing some of these things. And I, I felt like that quote kind of summed it up perfectly, you know? Yeah, they, they had no issue with dying. That's almost like um, they accepted that that was the fate of a warrior. It sounds yeah, almost um, sacrificial in many ways. Yeah, like their, their purpose would be sacrifice. Yeah, well, and, and it's it's interesting because if you look at like different points in history, you know, there were like revered warrior cultures. And I'm talking about cultures that didn't even know the other culture existed, you know, from different geographical locations and different time periods. And um, a lot of these kind of revered warrior classes kind of came up with their own ways to lessen the fear of death. And um, I think with that quote, that was kind of similar along to what the Spartans thought of. But then if you look at the Japanese samurai, for example, you know, they had their whole Bushido code and, um, and, and that kind of thing. And, and really it was designed to kind of lessen the fear of death. And it's just an interesting thing that humans, uh, throughout history have done this, even though they didn't know anything about each other and, but they, their actions were similar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's an interesting thing, um, kind of interesting to note is, um, you know, you're the most hardened warrior is one that has the most resolved and the most purpose. And, you know, going back to you talk about support or purpose or all these different things, it's, you know, we're fighting an enemy now that has ultimate, um, you know, it, it's go, I won't use now, but I'll go back to world war two, you know, imagine being on a, on a ship in world war two and you got a kamikaze coming in at your ship. Right. You know, that is when the enemy has, for whatever, whether it's religious, whether it's their own coat, whatever it is, when the enemy doesn't care about their own life, that is that is very difficult to defeat. And we talked earlier about, you know, kind of having no rules. To me, not caring about your own life is kind of the ultimate version of having no rules in war. It's like, not only do I not give a fuck about your rules, I don't even give a fuck about myself. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the definition of zero fucks. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> See, so, that, so, you, so what you did there, you're making a very serious point, and I'm, and I'm sort of taking it in, and then you throw in a, I'm not giving zero fucks. And it just yeah, kinda... <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what I do with humor. But, but that's the thing is people are all like, oh, I don't give zero fucks. And then like a guy runs into you and blows himself up. And you're like, no, dude. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Like you give at least 10. Like that's zero fucks. You know, the best are the guys that like blow themselves up and they don't even like kill anyone else. They're just like, I'll show you how much. I don't even have to kill anyone. Fuck you. Watch this. Um, no. You're just like, wow, I'm, I'm not even mad. I'm amazed. Um, but and you know, the, the thing back. is, you see this, you, you've, you've only got to go on to YouTube or Instagram. I, obviously, I'm not, I can't go and start mocking people doing that, but they do it. They do it a lot. You know, people, yeah. they just, and they, they've got to be you know, kind of wild on drugs or on something. 
get on some sort of I, holy war to get to get I that kind that, of. I, I have I have a theory on why they they blow up early. <laughs> you ready for it? Oh, please, please do tell. I want to hear this. They're just really anxious in their minds to get laid. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If you really think about, it, like. That's what they're sold on. So if that's what they're sold on, you know, I the infantryman, the infantryman, me is loving this right now. I, I would say that an itchy, that an itchy trigger finger gives them an itchy trigger finger. If you know what I'm saying. Keep talking, brother. I'm in the, I mean, they're just like you know. It said jihad. It wasn't very specific that I needed a body count. Um, fuck it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because in a way in, in some it's very point, interesting job <laughs> yeah. hey you know how like you know the veterans project is intent on building bridges between the civilian population and the whole better the, the bridge just were torched and right. <laughs> we just bombed them with a nuke and <laughs> So it's it's like that scene in in Star Wars, uh, Chantel. You can be Leia, and I like grab you, and then I shot the lock, and then it just like okay. destroyed the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh shit! Um, I think I just destroyed the uh, controls. Yeah, we've either got the civilians like who are like, oh yeah, that's cool, who are like understand military, and then the other ones are like. Oh, oh my no. god, it's worse than I thought. I, yeah. I tried to build a bridge with a uh, Star Wars nerd reference. I was hopeful. Yeah. Hey, it, um, it worked. It yeah. worked for at least ten. Yeah, there was at least ten guys that were like... Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, I, get, no. I, I got him. Right. Nine guys and one girl. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but everyone else is like, yeah, this guy's... <laughs> Where is but you know, the best part going? <laughs> and this is where we the fun. This this is the worst of it, or maybe the best of it, is we started talking about your injuries, and then we've ended up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so now, yeah. 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 I mean, isn't suicide bombing the ultimate injury? That's yeah. <laughs> <It is. laughs> Wait, so Tyler, back going back to the injury. Um, Get a grip of this, John. <laughs> was it a, su- a suicide bomber that that? Uh, <laughs> blew up in the house there or, or but you're not supposed I'm to not. laugh while you're saying that <laughs> yeah no that would have made it that would have really i wish it was that would have really bookended the story uh really well um no you know i never i never saw anything um okay. it was uh i was there and then the next moment um i'm pretty sure that i hit the roof um actually a little funny little tidbit was but i, I never saw the I never saw anything. I was there. Um, we we were we were actually in a fight in the hallway, and we were. Uh, it's it's very complicated to explain what was happening because it, it was just a it was just one of those tactical problems that you get in, and it's just a shit sandwich. And yeah. um, you know, you just there. There's really um, it doesn't matter how much training or what your level of experience is. Sometimes you're just in a situation where there's no good way to do something. Right. And, and that's, that's exactly the situation that we were in. And then we had a plan and we were good to go. And then boom. And the explosion happened. Uh, I, I thought it was a suicide bomber um, at first, just because 
the the level of explosion. And I mean, I've done hundreds. I mean, hundreds of you know, I've I've put up hundreds of charges and things like that. But I mean, this was like I, having felt a lot of overpressure, been around you know, calling for fire and all these different things. I mean, this 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 wasn't overpressure. This was some next level shit that I was just like, wow. I mean, I was. I can say that I was truly, again, this is like one of those things that you think about, but I, I just, I felt minuscule. Like I was in awe of, of the power of the explosion. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I was just like, holy shit, like fuck bullets, like explosions are where it's at. Right. Like, um, and I remember feeling just very, kind of small this was kind of like before i my brain started working but i just because i remember being on the ground and looking up and just just feeling very insignificant for lack of a better term um and 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 then my brain started processing but um and you know the thing is is like there's there's so many there's so many questions and there's so many questions even now, things that I don't know and, and things that I've, you know, kind of researched. And, and at a certain point, it just, it, it, you gotta, at a certain point go forward is the only thing that matters. You know, the, the past is the past and, and ahead and forward is the only thing that matters. And, um, I, you know, that's what I kind of did then. Like, um, you know, like I said, there was a fight happening all around me. I was, I was pretty, I was, I shouldn't say pretty. I was, I was aware of that, um, to kind of pick it up. I, I walked out of the house, uh, saw that my arm was still there. Um, kind of gave myself a, a verbal scolding of, Oh, dumbass, maybe like look to see something before you freaking, uh, think that it's gone. And um, then I was like, okay, my arm's gone. And um, picking it back up at that, the just like freaking every house in Iraq, or at least I should say in Baghdad um, and, and most areas, but there was a, uh, you know, there was a, a courtyard or a, a wall around um, the backyard or small. I mean, it was basically just a big porch. But anyways, um, I remember coming out, looking at my arm kind of having that realization and then i was like okay time to get out of here and then i looked at the wall and i'm just like yeah that ain't happening um i'm i'm, I'm not getting over that so yeah. i went against the wall and i just sat down and um oh i got a great story chantelle you're gonna love this <laughs> so i uh i'm there and I'm, I'm like i said i'm doing the whole tourniquet thing and it's just it's just not working out very well um Again, they make it look really easy, um, but it's not. And my buddy got to me, and he, you know, he adjusted that, put that on, um, you know, did a, a couple other things, and then um, I think it's like, hey, I'm going to give you your morphine auto injector, and I'm like, oh, totally sweet. So I'm having like these total Vietnam visions of like dudes getting their morphine in Vietnam, and then they're just like, oh my god, I'm so wasted right now. Is it like right? <laughs> So I'm like so ready to not be in pain and just be like high out of my mind. I'm like very excited. So he um, he hits me with the morphine auto injector, and I'm like, okay, cool, finally. And um, 
I don't know, he's still working on me and like five minutes go by and he's like, how you doing? How you feeling? And I'm just like, yeah, I still pretty much feel like shit. Um, so he gives me another morphine auto injector. I think it was his. And anyways, by this time they've got me over the wall and laid me down. And now the actual medic is working on me. And, uh, and again, maybe now it's been 10 minutes. I'm like, I still feel like shit. Like, don't feel any better. And um, long story short, and this wasn't figured out until about three and a half weeks later. My buddy figured it out at the hospital. Um, I'm morphine intolerant. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> literally that didn't do anything to me. <laughs> But so I, I thought I thought you were going to come out with because we had quite a few um, incidences where people would. This is why we started to titrate and go straight in, um, you know, straight in with morphine. Is that it would it would often pull because if someone's had a, a, a pretty severe injury, they start to shut down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So the morphine, if it, if it goes straight into IM, like they they tell everyone yeah. straight into the yeah. thigh, it actually can just stay there. And then yeah. what, what was happening is when they'd get to hospital and they'd get um, boom, they'd hit them yeah, it, and then they were dealing with ODs. You know, they were dealing with guys that had had too much morphine. So it got to a point where, especially my team, we decided to, you know, I'd rather that a guy was in pain unless I could titrate, and that that was sort of our rule that it just worked better, and it just it did seem to work better. But yeah, I didn't come across anyone that was intolerant, which is. And that can yeah, only well, happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just so funny because like, so how they found that out is I was in the hospital. My buddy who was uh, 18 Delta, um, he is literally like, and I won't mention his name, but he is a fucking hero. He is the greatest human being I've ever known. And um, he'd kill me if I said who he was, but, and he would never say that, but I'm telling you right now, fucking hero. Anyways. Um, he came to uh, came to visit me at the hospital, and um, he was also a medic I think, at that time. And the uh, he's like, "How you doing?" And I'm like, "Dude, I'm not doing very well. Like, I, I feel horrible." And so the 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 uh, what the nurse comes in, she's like, "Ah, oh, what are you on the pain scale?" Well, first of all, I messed up the whole pain scale thing. That was my bad. Um, I thought the pain scale was like. So for those that don't know, the pain scale is zero to ten, and ten is the worst pain that you've ever felt, right, Chantel? Yeah, yeah. Did you so do this opposite? <laughs> I I I took the pain scale as ten would be the worst pain, even theoretically feasibly imaginable. Not like the worst pain I've felt, but like ten for me was being set on fire while being eaten by a shark. Well flayed. That was like ten. So, um, again, I just, dude, it, there's a big difference between the worst pain I felt and the worst pain imaginable. So, should have known that going into it. My bad. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm like a six, which probably now for me was really probably like an eight and a half. Um, so I'm miserable, and they're just like, well, look, we can't give you any more uh, morphine. And I forget what the number was, but basically they're like, we can't give you any more. And my buddy's like, let me see your chart. He looks at the chart and he's like, are you're in pain? I'm like, I, 
I'm like, I'm, I'm miserable. I've been miserable. I've not felt good for, you know, this whole time. And he goes, Oh my God. And he calls up the nurse and he's like, well, first of all, the nurse comes in and I'm like, I really need some more pain medication. She goes, you've had, and I forget what it was, but it was like a, it was enough morphine that it would kill a horse if they gave it to a horse. And she, and I go, look, do I sound high to you? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, wouldn't I, if I had had too much morphine, wouldn't I be like barely able to talk and, and, and like be really jacked up? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, do I sound that way? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe because I'm not, and I'm fucking miserable. Right. Long story short, my buddy's like, you're morphine intolerant. I'm going to switch you to Dilaudid. They come in, bring Dilaudid after a big process, and no bullshit. It was like night and day. That that was when the hospital became tolerable for me. Like I, I had not had my pain managed until they switched uh, from morphine to Dilaudid, which um, then I was jumping off the rings of fucking Saturn. But uh, yeah, that. So long story short, that was uh, that. That was my my pain management story, which is kind of funny. How long? How long you did know, you stay out there? Did you? Hello. 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 I'm here. Hello. Yeah, okay. I'm here. Bales here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I well, so. I got, I got, so a couple things about my evac that I got super lucky. Um, one, again, I had just one of the best medics ever working on me. Um, two, I was a 10 minute uh, helo ride to the cache in Baghdad, uh, which yeah. was obviously awesome facilities. And at that time, they were doing so many uh, extremity surgeries. You know, they were just, they were, they were on it. And, so I had a 10 minute evac, um, which was super lucky. Then I went to a full, you know, basically the main cash. Um, but I was there, I got, uh, a surgery there and they immediately, which was miserable, uh, turned me around and flew me, uh, to, on a helicopter to the And then within 24 hours of getting, uh, wounded, I was on the evac to Germany. Um, yeah, so that's. It was just, yeah, it was. I, you know, it's, it's. Well, again, funny is not the word, but the the interesting thing about getting wounded is that people, like in movies, you see the wound and then you see cut to, you know, two years later or cut to the hospital. No one ever shows getting to the fucking hospital. And like that week of evac was fucking miserable. I can't, uh, I can't state that enough. I'm, I'm like, I mean, flying across the Atlantic is bad enough when you've got a slightly cramped seat. Um, so it was, uh, it was a new experience, like flying with, you know, a external fixator on my arm sideways. Like, it was miserable. Um, but, you know, it was, it was good. I got back, got, uh, I didn't go to Walter Reed, um, because we had our own doctor. So I went straight to, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Oh my God. You think I'd know the name of this? Okay. Um, 
Wow. Um, well, whatever the hell the name of the hospital was at Fort Bragg, but that's where I went. And then you went, I mean, you, you went through, I was reading a bit about you about uh, in one of your interviews and it said how many surgeries you had to go through. And then you got to a point where you were like, I don't want any more surgeries because again, people just see that. They think, Oh, they're back in for surgery in and out. Like it's a a kind of jolly, but it's actually, it's, that's a really, really, it's it's almost like you're going over this, you know, you're almost progressively getting worse to get better. You know, there's there's quite a traumatic experience, that whole episode, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was about a three year process. Yeah, it's a uh, long time. Yeah. And it depends, like for me, you know, things you learn that I would rather not know, but I learned. Um, So in my arm, I lost everything that you can possibly lose other than the entire arm. So what that means is I lost skin, muscle, ligaments, tendons, nerve, artery, bone. I think I'm, I think I'm covering everything. So I lost everything that you can possibly lose. So when they try and fix it, they have to fix one thing at a time from the inside out. And that for me was about a three year process. And that people are like, oh, three year process. But, you know, I would go in for a surgery, get a surgery, and then you come out. And then, I mean, the different, you know, rehabs that I had to go to, the occupational therapies. And then, you know, I basically was on and off opiate painkillers off and on for probably five years total. Of- yeah. And then, and then they sort of bring a whole new world of problems, you know, completely away from that injury too don't they oh. you get all the sort of side side effects of all that sort of stuff it, you know i i can honestly say i never did a drug a day in my life i never i never you know i didn't even bill clinton weed put it that way and um <laughs> <laughs> i i i can honestly say that like the first um you know narcotic quote unquote that i ever had was the morphine, um, yeah. which I guess kind of didn't count because it didn't do anything. But um, I guess that would be Demerol. Demerol, when I got to the hospital, that uh, yeah. my my eyes rolled back in my head. But um, my point that I'm going to is the interesting thing is, you know, I was pain opiates. You know, there there is no. So I'll tell you a story, um, which which will give people the context. So. When I got out of the hospital, um, I was on, to give people an idea, some people know, Chantel, you'll know, um, I was on 60, well, let me back up, I was on 120 milligrams of Oxycontin. Oh, wow. That oh, that's, was that's, that's hardcore shit, man. That was a time-release 60 in the morning and then a time-release 60 before I went to bed. I was on, in addition to that, I had dilated pills that I took every four hours. In addition to that, I had Neurotin for nerve pain that I took, I forget, however often. Um, and then, ironically, they gave me Colace, which um, is not exactly going to work in light of all those other drugs, but um, it's a little inside poop joke, but um, <laughs> <laughs> pun intended. Anyways, um, so... I, I got to the hospital. Now, I didn't know anything about drugs. Like, I didn't know anything. So when I got out of the hospital, that's what I was taking. 
And I just remember taking all these pills and I just had never done it in my life before. So I was like, I don't, you know, taking pills isn't me. I wouldn't take aspirin for a headache. So one day um, I took all my pills and I flushed them down the toilet. This is about a five to six days out of the hospital. And I flushed them all down the toilet. And about three hours goes by, maybe four. And I started to sweat. I started to, I, I, the best way to explain it would be the worst flu you've ever had in your life. And I was like, okay, I freaking twisted something. Cause I think my arm was in some kind of like, it was in something to where it was immobile. So I was like, well, obviously I, I moved it wrong. I, I broke something. I did something. I don't know what I did, but it's inside. I can't see it, but I screwed myself up. So I call my doctor on her phone and I'm like, Hey, um, I, I messed something up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad place. I'm, I'm, I had finally figured out the pain scale thing. They actually explained it to me. No, not eating by a shark on fire. I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes so much more sense. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm like at a, I'm borderline nine here. That's how bad I am. And she's like, okay. So she goes through like 10 minutes of, you know, is this, did this happen? Look at this, look at that. And finally at the end of 10 minutes, she's just like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, I'm going to call the other doctor. There was like a a micro surgeon specialist that had just done my last surgery. And she's like, I'm going to call him and and see what it could be. So then obviously you're in a lot of pain. Take, take, you know, take two more of your pain pills and I'll call you back in a couple of minutes. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I I can't take any more pain pills. And she's like, well, why not? I'm like, I, I don't have them. She's like, well, what do you mean you don't have them? I'm like, I flushed them down the toilet. She got really mad at me. And I mean, really, really mad at me and was like, you need to go next door, bang on the door, tell them that they need to take you to the hospital right now. I will meet you there. And I was like, what's going on? What's the big deal? And she's like, you can go like you could go into shock and die. Yeah. And I was like, what? No, (laughs) you're joking. I was like, what? Um, So obviously um, I'm stubborn, but I'm not that stubborn. So I was like, okay. So went next door. I'm like, "Uh, hey, don't know why, but you got to take me to the hospital or I'm going to die. I don't know. So my doctor said weird. And so they took me to the hospital. um, And I remember the entire drive in my head just going, there's no way that it's from these drugs that I, there's no way that these not taking these drugs can make me feel this bad. This she's wrong. And this is dumb. And I got to the hospital, went to my old room that I was just in six days prior. And I remember getting laid down. I remember them hooking me up with an IV and I will never forget this moment for as long as I live. I remember the nurse, putting the needle into the offset, you know, plug yeah. thing. And I'll never forget. Cause I'm watching her. I'm like, like, I want to see, I, wanna, I'm, I, I like learning. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to see what the fuck's going on. So I I'm watching her and I'm watching her depress the plunger 
on the Dilaudid. And as the plunger is going down, I can feel all the pain in my body instantly erasing to the point where when she was done and the plunger was all the way down in the matter of like, now I know you're supposed to push it over like two minutes. Like I was like, hook a brother up. you know. So I got it over <laughs> 10 seconds. Um, like I am not going to go cold coat blue on you. Trust me on this. So, um, again, inside, inside hospital jokes, but I was like, when the plunger was down, I immediately, I remember looking straight ahead and just going, I could run a marathon right now. (laughs) And immediately I, my first thought was I could run a marathon Second thought was, God, I feel really good. Third thought was just this like forced, horrible understanding of heroin addicts. And I just immediately, like I was too happy to be sad, but yeah, uh, I <laughs> was too, on too many drugs to be sad. But I really, in the moment, just went, oh my God, like I, I get addiction. I get it. Like I get it. Yeah, because that, and that that's really interesting. Because in your mind, clearly you're not addicted to that. Because you, you you you're not you don't have that sort of thing where you're. But your body, um, there's no way that it's very hard for a, a full-on addict to fight that, isn't it? You end up. I mean, I, I I don't know. I'm a medic, but I truly don't understand that. But to have experienced that must have been quite, quite something. Yeah, I mean that that was my first experience. I've now done it probably five times um because i had to do it after different surgeries and then um and and then you know it you know each time the thing is is like as a mentally strong person you go well i can just will myself off of it yeah or, or or i shouldn't say will myself off it you you say well i'll just will myself into not getting addicted in the first place um, you know, opiates, heroin, I mean, obviously I wasn't doing heroin, but it's the same thing. And that's what I didn't know. It's like, oh, well, yeah, your body, wait. your body yeah, craves that. Yeah. Your, your body's addicted, whether your mind likes it or not, your body's yeah. addicted. And it took a long time for me to, um, recognize that, that my mind had nothing to do had no real control over my body's addiction. So then you just have to learn that, you know, you just have to fight it. Um, again, it's, it's like I said about PTSD or anything, you have to recognize the, the excuse me, you have to recognize the cause and effect and then yeah. you have to recognize like why it's happening. And then you have to start making a plan and figuring out how do you combat or fix what you know is the cause and the effect. And um, it it took me a long time. It took me years of being on and off or in and out of surgeries, therefore on and off opiates. Um, And then finally, um, I I just, I I got to the point where I'm like, okay, like I'm never going to do these again. And Because I recognize what a slippery slope they are. I mean, opiates are are used for a very good purpose. Like, yeah. I mean, fighting, I don't know what I would have done without, you know, like the lot in the hospital. I mean, oh my God. Um, 
that being said, uh, you know, the, the downside, I mean, I get it. You know, a lot of celebrities talk about opiate addiction and, and all these different things. Like I've, I've been there, I've done that. I've, um, I've, I understand. And it, the solution is the solution again is a recognition of the potential for a problem. And once I finally started looking at them as it's too easy to it's too easy to get them prescribed post-surgery and go through three bottles for legitimate reason. But then coming off them is so hard that you continue the prescription just because you don't want to go through the pain of getting off them. Yeah. And it's, it's an addiction that, that, that feeds itself. Cause it, it's, it's the most miserable two weeks that you can go through. And what, and like as injuries go, when you stop those surgeries, where are you at now with your arm? Has, and did you just, did you have other injuries? Cause I'd imagine in a blast, usually you, ha- you can have, you know, secondary yeah, injuries. Yeah. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Almost, uh, it almost uh, blew my twig and berries off. Are you? Are you? You're all good. Strong like bull. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 funny because I got really lucky. Um, it actually did uh, blow off a piece of my scrotum. Um, that's how- quite commonplace, but I know I know people joke about it, but that's quite commonplace actually on the battlefield. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, your 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 scrotum's kind of hanging down, kind of asking for it. If you really, it's just out that. there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's just like, <laughs> dude, blow me off, whatever. Um, and you know, it's it's funny because I didn't, how I didn't sustain any. Um, I was actually wearing a uh, groin soft armor with a groin hard plate, um, oh, which, wow. yeah, it's very very rare. Um, but I, I had an actual plate over my junk, which. For me, I was just like, "What? We got a plate there? Oh, hell yeah, I'm wearing that shit." And now I look back. <laughs> had I not been wearing that plate, I it would have been gone. So um, it's funny because I was told I was in the hospital, but they were like going through my helmet, my armor. <laughs> Guys got a hold of like where my junk was and like looked at all the damage and like the ripping up, and they're like, "If some guys weren't wearing that." Uh, let's just say after they looked at it, everyone was wearing it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it, I didn't really notice that in the moment cause I was so, the, the pain was so disproportionate on my arm. Yeah. Um, I remember feeling pain in other areas, but again, it was, my arm was like, you know, that was all I was focused on. It wasn't until I think I was with the, my medic and he was down there and, you know, again, cliche yeah. but it's like is my junk good yep your junk's good and it's like okay i can lose a nut or two i don't care um <laughs> so but, what, where where are you yeah. like physically how are you are you are you able, you know you kind of although you decided to stop the surgeries you're sort of able to you know you, you make it to work. do stuff uh, yeah, yeah it, it's funny because like i i shoot i, I work out i, I was I mean, gonna say that are you still shooting yeah, well, now I have to shoot left-handed, uh, which is annoying because I learned that unquestionably left-handed people get fucked. There's no question. I was a right-handed person. I now feel their pain, and um, I could have gone my whole life not knowing about the pain that they feel, and I would have been okay with that. But now I know, and 
for all you left-handers out there, I now feel your pain. So we are lefties. Uh, <laughs> and how did you how did you find Tim? How's that story come about? Oh, that's a long story. Um, we met through a mutual friend, and uh, he. Um, I think I they introduced us, and it was kind of random. Like uh, I think it was over Facebook. Am I am I right? Like we yeah, first yeah. talked Facebook. It had to have been. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah. And then he was coming out to shoot somebody else, um, like camera shoot, not shoot shoot. And um, <laughs> got to be very specific. I had another. Uh, yeah, I had another. Yeah, mission. That, that's another I career. I, I won't talk about yeah. that. Yeah, um, we weren't supposed to talk about that. Dude. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. The contract's still valid. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, he was coming out and he happened to be, or he was coming, going to be in the area and, and it, it just worked out great. And, um, you know, it was, I, I, I'm, I'm a big, uh, uh, I don't know what word, not fan or believe I'm, I'm like, I didn't read any of, I didn't want to know anything about the veterans project before, like he uh, before I did it, um, and I, I'm I'm like that with with every project that I do. Um, are, speaking of, um, I'm going to get right back to the veterans project, but I, I do want to ask because I'm curious. Tim, have you seen the documentary? Yes, yeah, so I've watched it. Um, I watched it before I came out and saw you, and in That's fact, right. okay. I'm the same way as you are. So I'm pretty like I'll, I'll watch something or I'll read a book if I have you know if I'm covering an author. But for the most part, I kind of like to go into it not knowing too much about that person because I like to be I like my experience artistically to be organic and yeah. kind of um, learn while I'm shooting, learn who that person is, yeah. because I find yeah. it makes work that much more authentic. Yeah, I, I, no. I, I, that's kind of what I did um, when when we had uh, agreed that Tyler would come on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's kind of has a more organic feeling if you figure it out on the spot versus um you know kind of doing a whole bunch of research and and this son I told Chantel before that I kind of hate plans you know like I, I I like doing things like you know w- without thinking too much about it before we do it if that makes any sense um you know what I used to call plan in the military a list of things that don't happen you know like yeah. in the truth yeah so um, I, I didn't really do much research on the project or on, um, on, on any questions. And again, it's just for the same reason as Tim, I didn't want, I, I, I didn't want to tailor anything to like what I thought his project was because yeah, you, you can't help, but if somebody's coming out to, to do a project, you're like, you obviously want them to get the most out of it. So it's so easy to do research and then go and then tailor what you're saying to help them, which may or not may or may not be, you know, it's not the raw, um, it's not, not the raw version of you. So, um, it's just like, um, so the documentary that I, that I did, but you're all aware of it, right? Yeah. I've never seen it. So I'll watch it afterwards and then it'll be quite, probably be quite funny to watch it having talked to you. That's what I was going to ask you, Tyler. Was you know we talked about your post about you know post life and 
kind of discovery of self. And that, and that's the one, that's what I loved about the documentary is, it, and Tyler will speak on this, but it's really showed the discovery of self. And, and I can't imagine what that injury is like, but um, when we talked about it in the interview, it was like, you know, th- there's just this very cerebral process after, after something like that happens where, you know, the shock and awe of what happened and then obviously you're forced to pick the pieces back up and how you do that is unique to every individual. And that's what I love about the documentary is it shows that and what it was like for, for him, you know, specifically. Yeah. Um, well, it, and what you just said, so, so two things on that one, that the message of the documentary and it's not ruining anything for Chantel. Oh, um, if you didn't figure this out, I live. So, um, <laughs> I make it. um, no, but you know, the, what I feel the solution is for people is essentially introspection. It, it, it is, you've got to like, make no mistake. Like you have to figure out your own shit. And I know that's like, a, you know, it, it's, and, and, and again, I tell people, I'm like, look, dudes, the VA, yeah, they, they're not perfect and they'll never be perfect. And even if they were perfect, they, they could always get better. But that being said, sorry, Sergeant. What's that? Hello? I'm here. Oh, I'm here. But yeah. make no mistake. Like your, your, um, whether it's healing from your recovery, whether it's a, a physical recovery or a mental recovery or an adjustment, make no mistake you are responsible for it. And the irony that, that people like we have all this personal responsibility in the military. And yet there's kind of this mentality when people get out that somebody else is going to fix you. And, and that's just not true. Um, just like in combat, like you have, or in the military in general, you are responsible for you and you are responsible like we use the term about leadership. I mean, everyone's heard this. I'm sure there's a version of it in the British military, but like as a leader, you are responsible for everything, you know, your soldiers uh, do or fail to do. Right. Yeah. Like how, how does that not, you are your own leader. When you get out, you're, you're, you're your squad leader, your team leader, your first sergeant, your company commander, like you are a four star general for you. And you're responsible for everything you do or don't do. So we have to, everyone has to take responsibility, realize that there is a cause and effect, and then start doing their own kind of CSI investigation on themselves. Just if everyone just realized that there is a cause and effect and there is a process to getting better, I think there would be so many more people that would, that would go upon that path to get better if they just knew it existed. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's the key there is the, it's, it's, it's showing or, and and not necessarily giving, but showing other options. So I'm looking forward to seeing your documentary because it will be a case of, you know, then what happens is someone watches it and they say they recommend it to someone else. And then someone potentially watches it and says, you know what, and in particular, if they're suffering, or it's it's a way of finding, you know, different ways of dealing with things. And your way is not going to be for everybody, but no, for someone, it's going to they, they're going to it's going to sort of it will turn the light on, and they're going to say, you know what, 
I think I could, you know, that I could recover that way or I could do, do something or take one thing from it. You know, it, it can't do anything that's not positive. Yeah, and yeah, I think no. I think worst case scenario, it, it would kind of inspire someone to even, yeah. even if that wouldn't work specifically for them, it would inspire them to try and figure out what. Yeah, does. and I think what does, right. that's the key. that's the key. Yeah, and, and I, worst I, case I, scenario, they're gonna laugh because if you're gonna be coming out with your uh, yeah. your craziness. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, they'll 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 laugh. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely laugh at me. But I I think it's it's. It's interesting um, because I feel like that's something that can apply to to anyone in general about any kind of struggle that they may go through. Um, you know, if it's like something happened like immediate, you know, whether it's like a a divorce or anything that's kind of traumatic in in a in a way. Uh, right away, people are like so down and and um, kind of beat themselves up, but ultimately, like to get out of that situation, you, you have to figure it out on your own. You know, like you said, no one's really going to uh, do it for you. And I think uh, once people, more people understand that for, for anything in life, and especially for veterans who are, who are uh, getting out of the military, things would be better, you know? Yeah. Re- recovery from anything is a personal process because it's a personal experience. Right. And it's all and it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative it's, to someone. It's, yeah, it's relative. I mean, we talked about. Um, so, so one quick thing I want to say because it's very important. Um, I went through uh, this school called the Grief Recovery Institute, and it was founded by a Vietnam veteran who lost um, lost a child. Uh, like, I, I, I feel bad because I forget what it was from, but basically lost a child before it was born, and just, I mean had a nuclear meltdown and, and he basically designed all these things and they really apply to veteran issue, really any issue in general. Um, but what the grief, what, it, what, it, what the first lesson of the grief recovery Institute, which is a great program by the way, but their first lesson is that no two losses are ever the same. You never, ever, ever know what somebody else has been through. If you think yeah. about it, it's even like it's scientifically impossible. So therefore, as soon as you say it, you lose them. I, I feel your pain. I know what you're going through. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. ever mm-hmm. not I'm, possible. I'm glad you brought that up because I know everyone here has kind of probably went through their, their personal losses, you know, whether it's, family member or, um, you know, somebody you served with in the military. But, you know, when I, when I had gone through my losses and, you know, people, and, and I, I'm not mad at anyone for saying that to me, but when people say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I understand what you're going through. It's like, it's like, it's just hitting a wall and bouncing right off. And it, it's just like, you it, it, it doesn't it resonate. immediately creates a barrier. You don't yeah. give a fuck. No, you smile politely, don't you? And you do smile politely because people they tr- they mean it in this. I'm sure the best possible right, way they, as yeah. as they do. They mean well, but it not, does, yeah. Know, right. And Tyler, that was something you know you you talked about. Tyler was uh, you know in the blog was um, you know kind of um, you know the way to curb and slow down the rate of suicides was you know um, like you mentioned you know being that buddy, being there for that person. But it doesn't, you know, necessarily mean, hey, I know what you're going through. I know your experience. It's just being the ear, right? Being the listener in that, in that, in that moment. It, it's, 
it's essentially it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about the society. It's again, even if you're the you know we're in the same unit in the same shit, experience the same stuff, you still don't really know um, because there's also other factors. You know what I mean? Like you know, even if your military experience was exactly the same, your personal life is completely different. So your brain chemistry is different. And, and so, yeah, what that leads to again is you, you don't have to, you, you don't have to understand. In fact, complete understanding of someone else is by definition impossible. You just have to accept society has to accept. Everyone has to accept that, Another person is experiencing something that is completely unique to them, and it's okay. And I will be here for whatever you need. I'm not going to try and quantify, and, and I'm not going to try and, you know, I'm not here to make you. Hello. To be a part of it. Hello. Hello. Uh, yep. I can hear you. Yeah. yeah you, me too. Tyler, you, you cut out for a second. I, I don't know if that's gonna. Uh, it was probably unimportant. Anyway. I could hear him. I could hear him. <laughs> I could hear him. Um, <laughs> it's like a head the, count now. The, the last thing I want to say uh, about kind of I I brought it up and then what I want to say about the documentary and how it tied into um to Tim's uh, project to, to the veterans project is even with that, I mean, we filmed it over four years and I never once watched a single second of footage. I never listened to every, anything. I, I wanted zero awareness of, of what was happening because I didn't want to tailor anything to what I thought they were going for or what I thought would help. All I wanted to do is when they turned on the camera, I just wanted to be me. Oh, wow. I, I never watched a single second of footage. Um, I watched, I, I've watched it now when it was done. They forced me to watch it. Um, I'll admit I got completely fucking hammered. And um, it's people are like, you know, why? And I'm like, okay, it's one thing to watch yourself like in a home movie. Try watching a movie about yourself talking. Yeah, that's tough. That's, like, yeah. yeah, that's it's like the ultimate. Like, I just it couldn't have made me more uncomfortable. So I was forced yeah. to watch um, just to be like, you know, kind of, you know, you know, you know, I didn't say anything super weird. Um, I mean, too late. It was already in the editing. But the, the point being is um, I, I did watch it once and it was I can't even I, I think I blocked it out of my memory. But the, the point, you know, all these different things we do, um, the meeting Tim and the Veterans Project. And I, I've now, you know, tried to bring other people to him that I think are a good fit. Um, it, you know, it's just it's. And okay, where I was going with the documentary is at the end of the day, building those bridges and, and, and whether they're building, you know, we're not just bridge, uh, building bridges to the, to, you know, to society or the civilian world, quote unquote, we're building bridges to each other. And, and because, because again, our experiences are different. And what I love about the veterans project is 
you know, look, I'm not, you know, I, I was in, but I, I read different veterans and I gain more understanding of myself through them or more understanding of them. It's, they're all pieces, different pieces to ultimately the same puzzle. And that puzzle isn't the military. It's not civilians. It's human beings because that's what we all have in common. We're all people. And these are all different puzzle pieces and parts of the human experience. Right. And that's been, uh, I'm glad you said that because that's one piece for me that's been the, the really the biggest thing is, you know, in bridge building between us and the civilian, um, you know, world is, is showing people that we're, that we are human beings and that we have that connecting point and we're not robots that just go off to war and fight in these battles and then, you know, come back and, and we're hidden away. You know, we, we have our own individual experiences and those experiences are so important for people to see. It's one of the reasons I started the project is I couldn't, I, I hated seeing books, World War II battles and, and, and just wondering what happened to Joe Smith, you know, like what happened to that guy? I don't know because we don't have books um, for the most part. We don't have um, history on the individual experience, you know, what, what Joe did after his time in war, where, what he did when he got back, you know. So I didn't want that lacking um, for our post 9-11 veterans and that, and that thought kind of scared me. Um, was losing those um, memories. Yeah, and, and looking at it's interesting because you're kind of like painting the full picture. You know, you 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 know, Tyler will come on, or in in other cases, you know, guys will come on and kind of talk about some of their experiences in the military, and then you know w what's after that. You know, and kind of what's after that is is the Veterans Project. You know, so it's 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 very interesting. Right, because the war stories, I mean, every and and they're and and they're fine, and they're an important piece of the puzzle and into building, you know, who that person is. But um, you know, now I, I hate for guys to think that you know my best days have to be behind me or my best days were over there, right. and and that may be true, and some people may be happy with that. But I think for Tyler, you know, he's doing so many things in his civilian life, you know, um, even in Hollywood that is really, um, I think, if he was, you know. Um, you know, for me, I feel that I'm doing more now outside of the service for my brothers than I was doing when I was in. And I felt like I was doing a lot when I was in, you know, especially over in Iraq. But I feel now that I can have an even bigger impact. And I think Tyler can, too. You know, I mean, even at the tip of the spear like he was, I feel like he can still have an extremely and he is having an extremely big impact. So well, th that's one of the, the beauties of. Of, of the advancements that we've made as a society, you know, because um, we before we were kind of talking about the difference between, you know, how how close people are to to the reality of winning or losing a battle versus now. But one of the good things of, of where we've come to is that now warriors can come home and they have all these outlets where they can affect people in, in ways that they can't even imagine, you know, like. And, so, and something, uh, John, I'm glad you said that, John, because. You know, and something I want to ask all of you, do do you think this project, and not to, you know, self-push, but do you think that this project could have happened after the Vietnam War? No. Correctly. No. I don't think that it could have, because I don't, think, I don't think people would have reacted very well to it. Honestly. No. 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 And no, not Vietnam War. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, and. You know, 
we're, we're in a weird place now because, um, and, and actually this is good. This is something I, I actually thought of yesterday. So it, there's a, we're in this weird place where, you know, the military is, we're, we're hypocrites or veterans. We're hypocrites right now with something. And what that something is, is, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of looking at, you know, people that are kind of, um, celeb, you know, with, with Instagram and Facebook. Now we've got veterans that are, you know, um, that are, that are, that are kind of making themselves celebrities yeah. and, uh, or, or, yeah. or celebrities because they're veteran status. And I'll use Tim. I've actually never met Tim, but I, we have a lot of mutual friends. I use Tim as a great example. And, you know, Tim is, uh, I mean, obviously he's, he's well known, you know, he's, he's more known for, for, you know, the, the, the stuff he's doing, you know, now outside the military. And then that lets people know about his military experience. But, you know, people in one breath will go, Oh man, you know, uh, those guys are, you know, promoting themselves and promoting, you know, um, you know, that they were in the military and it's like, you know, like, who are they, who are they to promote themselves, um, or, you know, based on their military experience. That's what people say in one hand, veterans actually, not civilians. And this is the hypocriteness yet in the same breath, they're like, man, it's such bullshit that all these sports people are treated like heroes yep. when like you got yeah. people going overseas <laughs> and fighting. It's like, well, you got to pick one. Either it's we should have more veterans as quote unquote heroes, or we should have none. Because I, I hear a lot of this double talked, and and people what and what it really is is they're mad that it's not them. I'll, right. I'll call it how it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that that has to stop. And and the way it stops, um, what I started telling people is I go. What the veteran community needs to stop doing is the veteran community needs to stop comparing. Yeah. No different than, than, than grief cannot, you know, compare grief or loss cannot compare loss. If you served your country, then you served your country. It's not, you, you are not, I'm going to go a little fight club ish, but you are not your deployments. <laughs> you are not your injuries. You are not your DD-214. You know, you are a veteran. And, right. and let's leave it as that. Like, let's stop comparing who did more or who was in a yeah. core unit. Like, all that stuff does is divide us. Yep. And, and that's, what, that, that's exactly what we should, to, to build these bridges to the civilian community, we need to stop you know, fighting over how to build a bridge. And the way we stop fighting over how to build a bridge is we stop competing and comparing within ourselves, band together as one, and then everyone can agree to how to build that bridge. Right. Yeah, because it's kind of like everyone everyone has their place on the battlefield, don't they? Everyone had their place. So I, I, I see what you're saying. And, and and not not one, potentially not one specific group could do what they do without the other specific group doing what they're doing. You know, it's all, it all sort of gels together at some point, doesn't it? Whether that, whether you're driving a logistics truck, whether, whether you're sorting communications out, you know, we all kind of need that. Absolutely. And, and again, like, 
you know, people are always like, oh, it must have been really cool to be in special operations. And I'm like, no, you know what's cool? And they're like, what? I'm like, what's cool is when you're on the battlefield freaking grinding it out, like ground pounding, getting in firefights, trying to find the enemy. And then some motherfucker just flies in, drops a bomb, (laughs) kills 800 fucking people, and then lands at a base and goes and has a Mai Tai that night. That's fucking cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) fighter pilots, AC-130 crews, like those, that's a fucking cool job, right? What I did is not... You should have joined the Air Force. That's what you're saying. I'm telling you, man. I look at those guys and I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I fly? That's badass. What's funny about that, Tyler, too, is kind of the Marine Corps, you know, kind of teased their air wingers a little bit, you know, you know, being kind of a little pretentious or whatever. But, um, you know, what's funny is I've I always really looked up to the air units because I remember going up and like in my first like Chinook ride overseas and, um, you know, like one of our chocks had a had an RPG fly past the tail rotor. And I was just like. Um, I would much rather be getting shot at on the ground than have this thing go down. Like I, I had so much and I've had, I had veterans of my project who did go down, you know, and so, so like, no, so I have so much respect and I used to get onto those flights and, you know, as we, as we'd march up the, you know, that back ramp and they've got these cool guy masks on and, you know, they've got their nods ready to go and they get on that gun on the back and. And I'm just like, man, this is cool, man. Like you and they, get- they always, they always used to have really cool call signs. I remember some of our fast yeah. air pilots having like someone was called Widowmaker, and it was like, fuck it. It was quite. Um, you're always quite jealous of their call signs. I know. So, Tyler, are you familiar with um, Mac V Sargadov from Vietnam? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. Uh, like the, the, those are the real OG guys. Yeah. So I had a a, a a SOG team leader on the podcast for a few episodes, right? And it wasn't then, Billy Wall, was it? No, no, no. I wish I had Billy Wall. No, no. Um, but so it was Billy a guy. Great. Yeah, yeah. He's crazy. So, um, there's a guy by the name of Mike Stahl. He was the um the the one zero for a recon team. Uh, with command and control central. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, command and control north. And um, okay. and then we, we were talking about different kind of aspects of war and, and stuff like that. And then we we got to a point in the conversation where we were talking about the bravery of the the helicopter pilots. And one thing he he said was he always felt like they were the bravest guys in Vietnam because no matter how bad the situation was, and if you know anything about SOG, you know that most of their missions, if not all of them, ended up with them being like surrounded and getting shot at 360 degrees. And no matter what, those helicopter pilots flew in to get them out. And part of what he said, part of what would, would allowed them to be able to go on these dangerous missions is they knew that no matter what, these guys would come and get them, you know? So um, he said they were kind of the unsung heroes of that war. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I One of the coolest things I ever saw, I was talking earlier about me being that, that little nerd at an air show. Um <laughs> What, and I'll, I'll remember this, like I was like eight years old and they had a replica. So the, the precursor to the little bird, um, which is based on a bell, I forget the, the model, but um, the precursor to the little bird that was used in Vietnam, specifically with uh, Mac Vsog, it, it basically, <laughs> it was the sick, they had it 
perfectly recreated as a, a Mac VSOG uh, support chopper. Wow. And the back two seats had um, a bungee cord suspended M60s. Wow. And then they had a wire uh, against the bulkhead. And on the wire were grenades. Wow smoke and frag grenades and what they would do is they would hover at treetop level and they would just grab the grenade now a lot of people are like you can't have grenades on a wire anyone who's ever pulled a grenade pin knows that shit's fucking hard to pull out right like yeah yeah mm-hmm. it, 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 those aren't i mean you'll break your teeth if you ever try to pull them with your teeth so um <laughs> anyways they had them all by literally the grenades were on this wire by the pin and they just grabbed them and yanked and just chucked them all like boom, 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 and just ripped with the 60s. Anyways, I remember as like an eight-year-old kid, I'm like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, like why, why did I miss noms? Yeah. Why? <laughs> you know, um, Tim, that actually might be a good uh, – he might be someone good to have on the Veterans Project Um uh, his name is Mike Stahl. He was the uh, the team leader for uh, Recon Team Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, operating out of uh, Command and Control North. And he was he was actually wounded on his last mission. And um, it, like it, we talked about it on a podcast, and just trying to imagine it is like I can't imagine it. Like you know, you're, you're like surrounded by like two reinforced armored battalions, and you're just calling in airstrikes for three straight hours, like that kind of shit. And um, you know he 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 made it out and he kind of had an interesting life post military uh so i think I, I think it's probably a good idea maybe if i can hook you guys up and that's the thing maybe yeah, when you I, talk uh, about about people like that they always and like any guys you know Tyler's the same everyone always they play their kind of role down so you can you can kind of times the stories that we've got out of Tyler tonight the, the stories that you got from the other guy you know, yeah. you can times those probably by 10, 20, you know, a hundred times. Well, you know, that, that much worse. And my emphasis has been all uh, post 9-11, but I've never been object to, you know, to, to taking on Vietnam veterans. It's more of just been the willingness to share. I've had a couple that have been, you know, brought up to me and I, and I kind of went to them and they were just kind of closed about talking about their experiences and, and, you know, they right. even told me we love what you're doing. You know, it's awesome. But, you know, I personally don't want to talk about my time over there. And, um, in fact, I know, um, I know, uh, not, not super well, but I know Bruce, uh, Crandall, who was, uh, the Lieutenant Colonel that, you know, Greg Kinnear was played by and, um, or played, you know, Greg Kinnear played him and we were soldiers. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, he's actually family friends and, um, and I don't, I haven't talked to him too much, but, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, guys like that would be great to have in, in the project. And I, and I hope that they, through the project and through more stories being told that they, uh, start to come out a little bit more because, you know, um, I do look up to those guys a lot, especially with, uh, the army's, you know, major lineage over there. And, and, you know, we were taught about some of these battles and, and just incredible heroics that uh, went on during these battles and just the stories of 
um, individual heroism and then unit heroism and, and, you know, really making last stands, you know, when it came down to it where, you know, Hey, I'm probably going to get killed, but, um, here's what I'm going to do to, um, to, to, you know, get out of the situation and help save my buddies. So there's so many tales of heroics that I think we haven't even heard. And I'd really love to, uh, I'd really love to make them part of the project. It's just yeah. been kind of closed door for me. Um, you know, yeah, well, it's it's kind of I think part some of that is part of the um, you know, Vietnam was kind of known as a forgotten war, and and you know, guys from Vietnam they came home and they didn't talk about Vietnam at all, almost to anybody, you know. So uh, I think some of that has to do with the circumstances of of the times, you know. But um, we, we could definitely work on that, you know. Well, it's absolutely, and and the time thing that we talked about, like you're talking about, I I mean, my it is a time thing because you know one of the you know, main proponents and, and helpers of this project was when I started was, um, you know, my professor at UT Dallas who had protested the Vietnam War. And she felt so, she was a Berkeley student, and she told me, you know, I felt so bad about, you know, how I treated them. And so um, I think there can be some healing, you know, through some of those stories yeah. uh, coming yeah. out. And I hope that eventually that does happen because I'd love to make a, you know, I'd love to create kind of an offshoot and well, it would still be the veterans project, a series of Vietnam veterans, you know, who come forward. Yeah. And I think, I think your project, you know, the entirety of it, Tim, is it, it's got very few boundaries. You know, do you have so, because it's in its infancy, you have so much, there's so much for you to do. Right. That, do you know what I mean? You, you've got, you're going to have a busy few decades aren't you you know and that's that's a good thing because it's I I love the way and this is always a a really good thing you know I've always sort of sort of concentrated on this myself is about the creativity that people are finding you know post-service or even actually guys and, and girls that are still serving there's one thing that the military do have in common and they are very creative and we we spoke about this again that if you've been creative in killing or healing you can be creative anywhere Right, you know, right. and that, that's that's a really the, the project that you have is very positive, and that you know I can just see sort of good things coming, and hopefully well, see you flying across the Atlantic to uh, <laughs> do some projects over there. <laughs> no, I mean I'll, I definitely um, I want to get to my allies really badly because I don't I don't just have domestic intentions. I mean my intentions are to to gather in all Take our allies. Al- man, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the eventual the goal, you know, but. Six and a half. I mean, I think it's something like six and a half million people have uh, stepped overseas and, and done the job and, uh, you know, signed on and uh, gone over to Iraq or Afghanistan. So I figured out it was like if I covered a veteran every day, I would be covering veterans for six thousand three hundred years. Some, wow. you know, more specific number, but it yeah. would be something like that. So really, I mean, I consider that my thought is that I'll be doing it until I'm in the grave, really, you know. Yeah. That's that's the way I want it, at least. Now, what a cool, uh, you know, a cool project to do to be part of. So I'm glad that guys like Tyler stepped forward, and and, yeah. and that was the hardest thing when I started was getting guys to talk about it. I mean, they were like, "Why do you want to follow me around for a day with your camera?" And I'm sure Tyler is probably thinking that a little bit too. You know, at first, like, why does this guy want to? You know, like. I mean, I think my life's pretty interesting, but, you know, somebody's following me around all day with a camera. I'm like, do you want me to do something special or like, you know, but it's like, just be you. And I want to show the individual side. And sometimes those are the most effective photos is when I'm talking to a guy 
and they're talking about their experiences and I photographed them while they're talking about yeah. that and you can yeah. see the emotion and, and I hope that comes across. Yeah, it does very much so. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, we've been at this for a while now. I, I think this is going to be the longest episode. I've <laughs> we've got, you've got into down a few, um, rabbit warrens, but it's all, again, it's been, it's been good fun. Yeah, and they're yeah. really, really um, nice to listen to. Yeah, rather 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 rather. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, so for Tyler, uh, do you have like for the audience, uh, if anybody's interested, do you have any points of contact or social media handles where, where they can kind of check you out and uh, keep up with what you're doing? Um. Well, you know, you'd think I'd be better at that. Um, <laughs> I'm really not. Um, no, I. I mean. First of all, you know, I'd say what uh, the the documentary that we talked about earlier is that which I love destroys me. Um, it is on. Uh, you can find it. I mean, it's on YouTube, uh, which it shouldn't have been, but somebody put up there, which I'm actually okay with because it's all about. Um, no one made a dollar from it. It was. Uh, it's just out there to to help people. Um, and notice, I didn't say veterans or civilians. It's you know, there there's something for everyone in it. Um, and, uh, for me personally, I've got a public page, uh, on Facebook that I didn't want to do, but it did. And, um, it's Tyler gray, uh, I guess public, I think on Facebook. And I got a bunch of stuff that I I've done on that. I've done a bunch of, uh, what I call daily veteran therapy videos, which, um, are just me ranting, um, which <laughs> really no different than I've done here. So, uh, if, you, if you're interested, check it out. All right, cool. And and Tim, uh, can you drop your website and social media handles? Yeah. Um, so you can go to thevetsproject.com. T h e v e t s project.com, and that's where you're going to see the uh, blogs. A lot of people, there are quite a few people out there, you know, our attention spans are kind of short. So for those with the short attention spans, I tell the story over about two and a half weeks and I post a photo every day, which I'm sure is super annoying to the people that I've covered um, because I'm tagging them every day. But, but you know, so I, I post a photo every day with a quote uh, from the blog for about two and a half weeks. Um, and that's kind of a good way for people to get in tune with the project. And there are actually quite a few people that know more about the Instagram than they knew about the blog. In fact, some that didn't even know I had a blog, they were like, Oh, I just thought you dropped all the photos kind of like this. So, um, but the blogs there and then the Instagram is the veterans project. So at the veterans project. And then, um, I have a Twitter that's really new. Um, but it's just project, um, underscore veteran. And so, yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, got, I've got about, I'm covering roughly five or six guys in California. So um, there's going to be a lot of stories coming. I probably have like six months of stories when I get back. But um, I just covered uh, Donnie O'Malley, who's in the Marine Corps. Um, and then I've got, um, I'm going out to California and covering, you know, I won't say any names right now because um, nothing is ever completely concrete. But I've got five or six covering out there. And then um, I've got a couple um, more that are in the works right now. All right, cool, man. Um, so, you know, it was a pleasure having everybody on. Chantel, I know it's like 4 a.m. where you're at. And, um... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's actually it's, it's seven minutes to two. Ah. <laughs> oh, I'm all nice. good. Yeah, no, I'm good. 
it could be worse, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. Yeah. It could. could always be worse. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a pleasure being on actually again, and it's really um, good to chat to you two guys, um, and hopefully, you know, it'd be good to see you on other things. Yeah, but, you know, because that's the thing. It's all it's always there's it's a small world, isn't it? You know, things these things come about, mm-hmm. and then then something else happens. Definitely. So hopefully, I'll we'll speak to you again. Absolutely. All right, cool. All right, it was great having yeah. you guys on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. John. That was an interesting combo that we had. Um, it was pretty funny, so you know I enjoyed that, and <laughs> it's always good to um, to kind of hear these stories about guys who were wounded, or or maybe they weren't wounded physically, but had gone through some traumatic experiences and had some issues with uh, perhaps the transition. And um, Tyler kind of has a very unique perspective and take on it uh, that I, I hadn't really heard from anyone and you know I think it's all good stuff and it's always good to see guys kind of find the light at the end of the tunnel and um, you know one thing that I did like was how he was talking about uh, building bridges you know and you know not not have like saying it's okay that I don't understand you know something that you're going through specifically if I hadn't gone through it but to be able to accept that you know and and, uh, I think some of that would help move forward, you know, the veteran community and society as a whole. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting and I'm, I'm glad we had the conversation. Yeah. I'd, I'd second that, John. All I heard was princess Leia. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, and this is, this is what's amazing about chats like that is if you look at everyone's, everyone that was, there were four of us in that conversation, all from extremely different backgrounds, but you would never think that the way that you talk and the way that people are quite open. And that's something that I'm, I must say I'm extremely proud of as a as former military is that most um, and maybe this is the way of building, as you say, the building, the building bridges is that people like um, Tyler, can, they can just talk to anyone and they, they have no like problem with it. You know, they're, they're just there. They say the thing and, and they're, com- they're comfortable. And that's what. That's how this sort of building bridges thing is going to work. And, and like like he said, and like you pointed out in the, in the conversation, is that it's not just one-sided. It's not about um, former military veterans. Or it's not about us just fitting in back into society. It's about you know people ex- accepting where, where you've been, you know, whether they understand it or not. That's it's, it's a two-way street. You know, it's not just about you kind of just brush off everything you've done and, and, and kind of say, well, okay, I'm back into – because it's never going to work. And so I, I quite like the fresh perspective of something. Let's try something new. You know, let, let's stop. Let's, and, I, and I also like the bit about, you know, potentially t- taking responsibility for ourselves. That's not, that's not a bad place to start, is it? No, it's not. And, and you know, kind of going back to the bridge building analogy, it's like, you know, you, if, you, if you're going to build a bridge, right, let's say to kind of connect, the veteran community back into or, or connect with society, right? Yeah. And it, it, you would need both sides. You need people to build a bridge on both ends. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, sure. And, and yeah. meet at the middle. And I think that's what, um, you know, could really make things work. And, and you know, there's a, at least in, in the U.S., uh, you know, there's a huge community of people who support the military and, and you know, talented, driven people who, who can bring a lot to the table. And I think, you know, with the podcast and social media um, articles and, you know, what Tim's doing with the Veteran Project and 
through veterans telling their stories, whether that's through uh, movie, film, or books, you know, it can help uh, bring the right people together to build the bridge the right way and and, and kind of move forward as a society. Because you know, we we spoke about um, some of the differences with the way warriors are treated, you know, thousands of years ago versus now, and 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 what could be perceived could be perceived as kind of a negative aspect of it, right? But at the same time, we have made progress. And through the progress that we've made, we can utilize these tools that we have at our disposal to to move forward again, you know? Yeah, sure. And and then also things like you know, the, the way that the veterans project's coming forward, the way that we've got the war fighters coming out soon, all of these things, you know, they're, they're educational. And yeah, fine, things need to be entertaining because, you know, you need to hold people's attention and I'm sure that this podcast probably held people's attention with the funnies yeah. and the flamethrowers, but it's, it's it's important that underneath all of that, that you know, people are people, and it's and in order to to move forward together, there there needs to be a level of understanding, and and I'm pretty sure you know most most people within the workplace would probably um, you know you kind of people understand people, so that that's the way to sort of look at it and and if you don't need to sit, they don't need to sit there and listen endlessly to to war stories but just to get a kind of an understanding of where people's heads are at and and what they have been through it's not you know you may see on t on the tv that that's not a fake arm coming off you know those things happen and and people are dealing with them and they're being positive about it you know people aren't expecting um to be sort of um, what's molly coddled or to be wrapped in cotton wool because that's not who they are. But what's expected is that people do like, like you, like we keep saying is we do need to meet in the middle. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so with that being said, now we'll close out the the podcast. Um, Chantel, you are on Instagram and Facebook. Um, can you drop your handles? Yeah. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, uh, so Facebook's like, every, yeah, it's everywhere. Facebook is um, the Battle One page, which is Battle One, the Memoir of Combat Medic in Afghanistan. That's been going for quite some time. We have a great little community on there, and we have all of the the countries generally that work together in um, in sort of hostile environments. And then Instagram, I'm on uh, Mission Critical, which is just a page of uh, good shit. Did you, can you say that? Mm-hmm. And then um, and then my own, which is I shouldn't say that as if my own's full of crap. <laughs> but then I have one that's a bit more um, directed at me, which is the Battle Worn Alternate RV. Um, I'm on Twitter, but not, you know, I suppose they're all connected. I can't man all of those things. But it'd be good if, if people have got things to say, it'd be nice if they get in touch. But obviously, if you're abusive, then you can potentially expect some abuse back. <laughs> what, um, <laughs> is there a website for uh, GBV Uncovered? Oh, yeah. And sorry. Um, so GBV Uncovered is just as it as it as it said so capital g b v um golf bravo victor uncovered in the word and if you just google that it's the only thing that comes up and you'll see a hideous picture of me <laughs> so i call it my ambassadorial picture because i look very i look a little bit stuck up that's not me but it looks yeah it is what it is <laughs> all right cool so i don't uh, look like princess leia in that picture let's say that <laughs> All right, so uh, for my website, uh, you can check out globalrecon.net. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. 
on Facebook is FB Recon on Instagram. It's IG Recon. My second profile is Black Ops Matter. I'm on Twitter at IG Recon. And also, if you want to connect on a professional network on LinkedIn, just search for Global Recon. And as always, um, you know, I encourage the audience to subscribe, download, share the podcast episodes with your family or friends. Um, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud and, uh, you know, help us continue to stay at the top of the government and national categories on iTunes. And, um, we'll continue to bring you great content. All right. So with that being it's said, where we be- it's where we belong, John. Exactly. At the top. <laughs> so with that being said, we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace. This is Medal of Honor Day, a tribute to those who have received the nation's highest military award. The president took part in a ceremony today at Arlington National Cemetery. 98 Medal of Honor recipients are still alive and 38 attended, including one hero with a truly remarkable story. Once again, here's David Martin. Robert Howard was the toughest, bravest cat in the jungle, but he deserved a better war than Vietnam. He was nominated for the Medal of Honor three times for three separate operations behind enemy lines. But when President Nixon finally awarded him the nation's highest honor, Bring our brothers home. the ceremony was actually delayed by anti-war protests. He was a war hero at a time when Americans didn't believe in either the war or its heroes. He was wounded 14 times and has no business being alive. And here I come face to face with a platoon of enemy soldiers. And so I'm standing with my weapon like this and they fired directly at me. And I fell backwards like this and didn't get killed. That was just the beginning of the firefight for which he was awarded the Medal of Honor. It ended when, out of ammunition, he called in a 2,000-pound bomb. I said, I want you to put it right on our position. It blew us and the enemy up. Next thing I know, <laughs> we're still alive. He's still picking shrapnel out of his body. I got a piece that's coming out of my side on this side this morning. It bothered me. America loves war heroes. Sergeant York in World War I, Audie Murphy in World War II. But in Vietnam, there were only scapegoats, except Robert Howard, who captured 44 enemy soldiers and brought them back for questioning. I carried a damn enemy soldier for nine days because... He was important, and other people were trying to kill him. He did five combat tours in Vietnam and is about to pay his fifth visit to the troops in Iraq. I teach him how to survive on the battlefield. I teach him how to weigh courage and fear. You know, you can balance that. He can walk through the streets of Manhattan without anyone knowing who he is. Until today, when President Obama found out who Robert Howard is. Together, they and 37 other Medal of Honor recipients laid a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns.